I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche It's five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to Hello know and welcome To JK Plus One I am your host Jonathan Kinchin I, I am not back with you from the Brooklyn Bunker. I am also not Peter Thomas Fornatel, but that's okay. Pete's kind of abandoned me a little bit, if I'm being honest. I I don't even know if we're still friends. I barely even talk to him. He only calls me when he uh, needs to record a podcast or um, uh, the only other conversation I had with him was the other night where he had, uh, he had finished a week of, of being a teacher and he had had a couple of drinks, and then he yelled at me about being a millennial and uh, told me I was a fake millennial and said a lot of other mean things to me that, that uh, frankly, have put a real dent in our, in our friendship and our relationship. So he's going to have to do something special, something nice, send me something, flowers, uh, maybe a nice text message or email, something along those lines to make me feel as if it's worth having him in my life. So... Uh, you know, everybody send him messages and tell him he needs to be a little bit nicer to me. But uh, anyways, sorry for sharing all that information, but that was a nice little minute and 15 second therapy session for me. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, about my guest this week. Um, I'm excited about how the shows have been going. Thank you guys so much for the support and the, the great comments. It's so encouraging, man. When you, when you do something like this, it's, it, you know, you're, I don't know, not that I'm putting myself out there that much, but you know, our, my guests are and, um, asking people to be honest and to be able to, 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 for me to be able to ask them not tough questions. I'm not trying, this is not, you know, dateline or whatever, but I still want to be able to, to ask questions that, you know, maybe they've never talked about publicly or, or things that are a little bit deeper than, than the, uh, the, you know, the fluffy 15 minute interviews that we're, we've become accustomed to. And so, um, it, it helps a lot, I think, when, when I see, uh, when, when people can see the, the feedback that everyone's giving and how much people are enjoying the shows. Obviously, my first two guests, Gary Stevens and Michael McCarthy, told some really fun stories. And I can assure you that uh, the stories you're going to get on this episode will, will be equally as fun. Um, I, I do want to say uh, today I, I, I ordered a microphone um, on, on Amazon. The, the microphone I'm using now is a, is a USB mic. It's, it's, it's not a terrible mic, but it's, it's also just like a little bit annoying to a certain extent. It's one of those that you kind of like clip on your shirt or your jacket or, or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I try to be as honest as I possibly can on the show. DRF bought it when, when we were doing stuff with DRF. And uh, when we didn't kind of extend our relationship, I never sent it back. So... Uh, if they have a problem with that, they they know where to find me. But it's it's not nearly the quality that I want, and I'm still trying to work through it. So, look, it, th- this show, I could probably sit here and edit it for four hours to try to make it not have this problem. Um, uh, my guest does a majority of the talking, which is good, so his volume is great. I think I probably come in a little hot sometimes. I'm a little bit higher than I want to be, but like... We're in the middle of a pandemic. Deal with it. So um, I wanted to apologize ahead of time for that. But uh, I'm excited. It's it's one of my good friends, one of my mentors, one of my idols, uh, one of the greatest horse players that's ever walked the earth. 
And uh, the other one, one of the other ones that's in the definitely in the top two, three, four, or five I can think of happens to be his brother. So uh, uh, a family of, of handicapping and horse playing royalty, a guy that's got uh, more stories than this two hour and 15 minute podcast could allow. But I think you guys will enjoy him. Uh, my good friend, professional horse player, golfer, bowler wine man he can't drink uh he can't drink uh anything with carbonation in it he gets the it, it whatever i don't i didn't ask him about that but that's another interesting fact about our guest very happy to have duke matisse duke what is uh what's going on did you hit the ball good today uh actually i, I did i did pretty well after uh about the sixth hole i was pretty i was pretty awful for six holes but i haven't played in a while and then uh Things came around pretty good. I birdied seven and nine, so things things were pretty good on the links today. So obviously, we'll talk a little bit about how you uh, you almost became a professional bowler. Uh, does does the bowling thing and the golf thing does it is it kind of does it go hand in hand? Do you think? Uh, a little bit of the putting, a little bit putting, because because when you um, you know when you're bowling, you look for you look for spots on the lane. You know, the, you're aiming your your hand eye coordination is aiming for spots so same thing with putting you're you know you're you're putting to a to a spot that you think you know where where the ball's gonna break so a little bit but not golf is so much more difficult for me because i don't know just hitting that little ball is is much uh, tougher than i guess bowling came more natural to me it was so easy i just i don't, I don't know what it was about it just like i picked up a ball and ball at four years old and my dad was like how the hell did you do that? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it was so natural picking up a bowling ball and throwing it for me, but hitting a golf ball is much more difficult. So we'll, we'll talk about the transition yeah, we from, can talk about that. from, uh, from, from a professional bowler to professional horse player. But I, you know, I wanted to start, uh, quickly just by, I mean, I, I think I've told you and Paul this before, but just in case I haven't, I, I want to make sure that, that I say it to you and I want to say it, uh, on the record, too, I, 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 there's no shot that I would be where I am in this game if it wasn't for the two of you um, taking me under your wing and, and really allowing me to be a part of your family and, and, to, uh, and to teach me and to give me a lot of uh, really great advice along the way, but more importantly, to show me that there's a way to do this successfully. Um, I, I, you know, I, I was successful enough and, and lucky enough to win the tour in 2015 and then and then to be able to to kind of be able to elevate myself as a horse player, uh, I give I give you and Paul uh, more credit than than I do anyone else in the world. So I, I wanted to thank you for that. I appreciate that. I mean, with, with Paul and me, we've always been you know I mean you've seen a lot of our guys and in, in our group, and we've always wanted everybody around us to just be you know better at at handicapping and be, and better at just you know knowing anything about horse racing so it's like we welcome new people and we try to teach them the things we learned as kids because we started so young i mean i <laughs> i mean I, I can remember being at saratoga when i was three years old four years old you know so it's crazy the things that paul and i have you know been through and done and you know i'm sure we're going to get into a lot of those stories but it's great to see people new people in this game that love it as much as you do and we hope we can bring more of you in, you know, into this game. 
So I think this is an important thing. We've obviously had you on the show a lot to talk about who you like and uh, some of your strategies and, and, and whatnot. But I don't, I've never really heard anyone talk about uh, what it really means to be a professional horse player and, and, uh, and, and kind of the, uh, the level at which a lot of, you know, quote-unquote professional players are playing. So the first question I want to ask you is, is how long have you been, how many years have you been uh, and I'm guessing you considered yourself professional when your tax return started saying it. How long have you been a professional uh, horse player? I would, uh, I'm 47. I think I would consider professional is when um, in about 1993, four, that range. I mean, I'm going to tell you a story about college, but I mean, maybe not go there quite yet, but um I, uh, I would say 22 to 24 years, somewhere in that range. Now, how many, and, and I think you know this, and that's the difference between being a professional and being a guy who goes to the racetrack. How many of those 24, let's call it 24 years, were losing years for you? completely losing like yeah just like at money. the end of the day like you lost money when you at the end of the day when the record keeping came back it, it was not a it was not a profitable year i would say probably two probably two i would think because i know of one and that was recent i lost uh, pretty bad um uh a few years back and there's probably maybe one more in there, one or two more, two or three at the most. Now, um, and this is not to be, I'm not asking you to be braggadocious. And obviously a statute of limitations is up because whatever time you talk about is more than 10 years from now. So you're not gonna get in trouble. What was the most you feel like you've ever handled in one year? What, what was your the peak of your play? And I know you're, you and Paul both have said your play is down significantly for various reasons, but... Uh, and, and not not to and not personal reasons reasons within the game it's just harder it's you know, blah 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 but what was the what do you think the height of your handle was in in your career as a professional in one year my my height was somewhere near 15 million it was it was you know 19 late 1990s early 2000s I, I was looking at records the other day, you know, my son found a book of mine. I don't even know where he was going. He was going through, um, <laughs> he was going through my garage cause he wanted to, he wanted a place to, to have an office in my house. And he goes, I don't have a place for an office in my, in, in this house. He goes, I don't want to be in my room all the time. He says, so I'm going to build my office in the garage. And I, and he, he finds an old book of mine in the garage and he goes, Hey, what's this? You, you wrote so small. I used to write all my figures so small. So if anybody found it, they really didn't know what it was. So he goes, what is this? I see plus 36,000. I see minus 42,000. He goes, I go, that's what I lost in a day at back then or one in a day. Those were daily figures of losing, you know, 35,000, losing 40,000. And Paul and I used to say, well, I lost a small cart today or this week I lost uh, almost a house. You know, we used to we used to joke a little bit, but it wasn't really too funny because when you went on a losing streak, <laughs> you know, it was it was it was tough. You know what I mean? You you lose five days in a row and you're losing thirty grand. You know, you're risking 
risking two hundred to three hundred thousand in a week, it was it was quite insane when I look back at it. You know, now <laughs> now I can laugh, but it, I tell you what, it wasn't too funny. I don't think at the time. <laughs> no, I imagine so. <laughs> it, so. And, and I kind of know the story, so I'm trying to figure out the best way to set it up. But you, you started off at a young age, like you mentioned, playing bowling and you playing bowling, being a bowler. Yeah, and you were bowler, yeah. you were uh, extremely successful at that and on the, the, the track to be a professional. But there was a couple of events that kind of made you transition to being a professional horse player. You want to kind of run through how that whole transition happened of, of when you decided yeah. you were going to be a professional? Yeah, I'll start by saying, you know, bowling was bowling was a big, big part of my life. I don't want to tell a, too many bowling stories, but it was a huge part of my life. And when I was when I was 13, 14, there was no doubt I was going to be a professional bowler. So and that, you know, the pressure from that, like, I think helped me probably the most in horse racing because the pressure of, of just having to throw a strike when you had to throw a strike or, you know, having to have a good game, you know, at, at certain times was it put, you put yourself under a lot of pressure and I practiced constantly. And I, and, you know, I went to college for bowling. I got, um, a small scholarship to go to, um, Buffalo state, but I really didn't go there to bowl for the team. I bowled for the team for one season and, and got sick of it because it's team bowling, not individual bowling. And I, um, I made more money in the individual tournaments. So I, when I was 16, I, I finished, I, I placed in a, in a professional bowling tournament. Now you aren't even supposed to bowl in professional tournaments until you're, you know, 18, but th I got like an exemption because I wasn't, because I was already bowling in uh, men's leagues and stuff. I, I took, I got rid of my high school eligibility at, at 15 because I won the state championship. Um, of New York State uh, State Bowling Championship, so it was like I had nothing more to do with that, and I was just sure I was going to be a professional bowler. So when I realized uh, I was about 19 on my own in college and and in Buffalo, and Paul was there that first year, I realized that I was working my butt off bowling, you know, 20 games a day bowling in these tournaments and I, and I, and I actually got lucky to win one and I, and I, I won like five grand and then Paul says, Hey, let's go to, let's go to Fort Erie and we'll go, you know, Fort Erie racetrack was just across the peace bridge in Buffalo. He goes, let's go over there and, and mess around with uh, Greenwood. Greenwood's a really good track to bed at night. And I'd never heard of Greenwood, but it's like a, it's like a bull ring. I, I grew up in the Massachusetts fairs and, and knowing those bull ring tracks, we knew them pretty well. So we started going on, they ran at night. So we would go at night after school and we'd go over there and we start messing around. And, you know, one day we had a really good day and we, you know, we won a few thousand. I said, I said, I can win a few thousand in, in, you know, in a few hours betting horses. And I can, and I'm spending weeks and months practicing it. And I bowl in this tournament and, I, and most I can win is like five grand, you know, it's like, so the monetary amounts were, very enticing for me to get into into this horse racing because i wasn't you know we weren't risking a ton to win a couple thousand we're risking you know you play you play an exacto you play a try you hit a couple races you know you start you know you start doing good and so so that got me really interested in the racing gambling part of it. i was more probably just recreational when i was you know in my teenage years on the horse racing part so um so to fast forward to probably the day, and I think the story you're referring to, I was uh, 
I came back to Albany State the next year. Uh, two years later, I, went, I, I got a two-year degree from Columbia Green Community College, um, where my uncle he basically ran the college. So I, that was like being in 13th grade all over again. I uh, I was in all at Albany State, and I was taking chemistry, and I had a lab. And Paul and one of our friends was over at the Albany Teletheater, and they were betting the horses. And I had called Paul early in the day, and I said, I said, is that horse running today? And he goes, yeah, yeah, you got to get here by a certain time. So I'm in the lab, and I'm trying to get this thing done. And my professor's like, you know, you have to finish this today. You have to finish this today. So I'm I'm after it. I'm trying to get this thing done because I know I got to get to the teletheater to bet this horse. I know I got to do it because back then you couldn't, like, phone a bet in. I, at least I didn't have an account if you could phone a bet in. Um, but so the lab runs long, of course. I get to the teletheater, walk in. I'm rushing in. I go, Paul, that race go yet? And he goes, you won't believe it. You you, you, you would have made a fortune. I said, and I looked at him and I looked at, I think it might, I don't think it was Ogre. I think it was a different friend of ours. I'm not sure who was there at the time. I looked at them and I said, all right, that's it. That's my last day of college. I quit, right? That was, I never went back. <laughs> that, was, that was it. I just said, no way. Because I couldn't miss that horse. And the, what made me miss that horse was my chemistry, you know, <laughs> lab, which I wasn't doing too well in any way. I, was, I think I was getting a B or C. So um, that was it for the um, for college. I quit that day. All right, I, I think so what's, I was, so, what's so fascinating about about your story and, and your guys' story, I guess, is that is that there's two of you, you know, and like you and Paul both are your 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 styles are very different different obviously but yeah. you guys are both so good at whatever the style is that you want you know want to give yourself but you know obviously this whole journey with with you becoming a professional and Paul had a lot to do with that and and so I, I sent Paul a message so he's he I have a list of great uh, stories that that Paul told me to get you to tell but the, the first one I think we can start with because I, I'm excited to let people hear some of the Vegas stories because yeah, to me Vegas stories are like that was the most bizarre thing to me because like what 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 you guys did in Vegas doesn't exist anymore and what you guys did in Vegas is like not now but is my dream when I was in my 20s like oh my god that there's nothing that could have been more fun than that but but we got to start with how did you almost kill Paul Oh wow so that was actually I believe that was before I decided to um, quit college. I think that was, I think I was like 17 or 18 and it was real early one morning. And, and my, I think I must've been 18 because my brother was a trainer. Greg was already training. Yeah. I would say I was 18. Let's say 18. And it was early one morning and we were, we were driving to Suffolk Downs to watch a, a horse run of ours named Fruit Cocktail. It was the only horse that my brother had in uh, at Suffolk Downs. He was he just starting out, and he he only, you know, I think Paul might have owned. I think Paul owned the horse. I didn't own the horse. I didn't own any of it. But we're leaving my house now. This it was uh this was in the winter, and it was like we're leaving at like six seven a.m. So, um, driving along this uh, road that's going towards the Berkshire mountains. It goes up over a big mountain and I noticed something was wrong pretty early on, but we were already climbing this hill 
and I was in a little Honda Prelude, and the steering wheel just starts going, like, out of control, like, going back and forth. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I let off the accelerator, right? And then next thing I know, the car goes up the right side shoulder, up the right tire goes up in the air. The car flips over and slides about 3,000 feet on the hood down the road, right? And I turn, the finally comes to a stop, and I turn and looked at for Paul, who was sitting in the passenger seat. I turn and looked, and he's not there. So then, I like gather myself, and I and I get out of the car. I like cr- I had to crawl out the bottom because the window like bro. I crawl out. I go, where the hell is Paul? And he goes, finally, he goes, I'm back here. He he had gotten shifted from the front seat to the back seat when the car went like off the road and, and flipped over and like when i got out of the car i stood up and fell right down because the the road was a complete sheet of ice it was like being on skates it was like unbelievable it was just frozen over and it was only in this one spot on the top of this hill and to to make the story even more crazy we get out of the car we had now the trunk had popped open when all this happened and there's bowling balls bouncing down the road this is up down the hill they're just bouncing down the hill right and i said paul i said we gotta get we gotta get the hell off the road we're right in the middle of this road if somebody else comes by they're gonna just crush us not two to three minutes later a bus like a greyhound bus comes fishtailing through this area and somehow this guy i mean to get this bus where he got it he got it through this hill and like on a sheet of ice he somehow fishtailed this bus i couldn't imagine being on that bus he fishtailed it all the way down and he went down the road and then like maybe i think the bus saw that you know we uh, he probably radioed somebody because a cop showed up about 10 minutes later and and you know we thought our day we we actually i mean we thought our day was over we thought our lives were over i thought i was you know that's what you said he when did you almost kill Paul? I mean, I, I couldn't believe that we, we, we walked off out of that thing with just scratches. And, I mean, could have been, you know, curtains. I mean, it, so did you, you look. Did you flip the car back over? Oh, no, 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 no. Tow truck came, flipped the car over. Um, we went, we got towed into a, like a little body shop down in this little town between New York and Massachusetts. So, we get there and we call i call my dad and he goes all right i'll i'll be out there but it'll take me you know take me he was like probably an hour away so we sat there and we're sitting in the in the at, at the tow place and we're just kind of just chatting back and forth and we go what are we going to do we said well when dad gets here we're going to talk him into going to Suffolk Downs <laughs> <laughs> we got to go we got to go watch the horse run he didn't we didn't tell him before and we just told him we got in an accident so he's got to show up you know he's got to come but when he gets there we're going to talk him into going to Suffolk Downs so I said and you know the cops wanted us to go get checked out and blah 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 but back then they didn't really, it wasn't like it probably would have been mandatory nowadays to go to the hospital and get x-rayed and all that but uh, we didn't have to do that. And when, when my dad gets there, we we just said, you know, we got to go to Suffolk Downs. He goes, what do you mean? He said, what are we going to do with the car? The car's smashed. Let's leave it here. We got to go bet this horse. We got to go watch Greg's horse run. <laughs> so, you know, it's like a two and a half hour ride to Suffolk from from our, from that area. And we get there. We get there late, obviously. But we get there in time. 
and uh, you know the rest of the story. She wins. <laughs> she, you know, she had to win after all that. She won and paid like twelve bucks, and we had a, you know, it was, what a day. I mean, it was, it was crazy, but, you know, that's what we did when we were, you know, when we were kids. We didn't worry about too much stuff, you know. Something it tells was, me you didn't have to twist chick's arm to go to the racetrack. Uh, yeah, it wasn't difficult. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't difficult. So but that's how I almost killed Paul. I thought I really thought he was gone when he wasn't in the car. I oh. thought he got launched. I thought he got launched. You know. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, but it was crazy. So let, let, let's let's get into uh, let's get into to Vegas. So, and how old were you? So Paul was there first. Um, I guess maybe start off by telling people why Vegas was so great, um, and 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 you know how it differs from you know the situations that horse players have now. Why it was so great. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, what, what, you know, why, obviously why you went there and then at what point did you decide to make that jump? Well, we spent a lot of time at Finger Lakes racetrack in the early nineties and then a little bit of time at Garden State Park. And, you know, between Paul working for, you know, he worked for, um, buyer for a little while and, and he started working, you know, with, um, another guy named Mark Hopkins who, who started, uh, they started Andy and Mark started doing figures for the racing time. So he had, I mean, he, Paul had all the tools, you know, he knew, he knew how to do everything. So when we were at finger lakes, we did very well gambling in the, in the early nineties and we did very well at garden state. So one day we're at finger lakes and we make a ton of money. I mean, just like, I think like I made like 25, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm like a 22 year old, 23 year old, kid and i make like 25 grand and my paul i don't know what he won but it was more than that and yet and another guy won just as much as that so we i think it was ogre um we decide that we're gonna go straight from finger lakes racetrack to the rochester airport and we're gonna get on a plane to vegas we just decide that minute like races are over five o'clock we want a ton of money we want to go straight to vegas so we we get to vegas at like who knows what time because we flew all over God's creation to get there. Um, but we got there like late at night and it was, I mean, like to see Vegas for the first time was like, Oh my God, it was so just to see those lights and to see those casinos and just to be there in the, in everything. I mean, we stayed up, we stayed up for, I think, 48 straight hours nobody went to sleep we were just gambling on anything anything but of course the horses during the day but at night we were playing you know ridiculous games and we were just i mean it was a crazy time to be you know and we we only planned to be there you know just for those two days we we, we went back this time this was um in like 93 or 94 we so we go back to rochester after that but the experience of being in vegas and just gambling all you know for, for 40, 48 straight hours was amazing. So, you know, a year later, we got wind of one of these casinos in Vegas that they were giving out rebates. So we go, but we all, we all go back. I think minus Ogre. Paul, Paul goes back first. He checks it out. So Paul's out in Vegas and he checks it out. And he says, it's good, Duke. You, you should get out here. So. So I came out like maybe after maybe after he was there for a week or two checking it out, I came out and he had already been set up and he set up in the it was at the boardwalk holiday inn. They were doing um rebates. Now 
I mean, everybody, I think, knows what rebates are now. Back then, they were unheard of. Nobody knew what a rebate was. I didn't even understand what, how they were going to give us this money for betting. But anyway, I just go. I take every dollar I got and, you know, drive out and, and uh, you know, plan. I'm planning on just staying, you know, for as long as I – who knows, you know, just planning on staying in Vegas. And when we get – when I get to see – you know this this boardwalk holiday Inn. i mean it's just if you you can't it's no longer there but it's the smallest thing you ever seen in your life it's just like uh it was it was mimicked after the what's the place in uh, new york the the amusement park coney coney island so they had they had like a little roller coaster on the top and they had they had a little monkey outside that you would greet you when you walk in and they had you know, a fake Elvis guy that was playing every night. And, you know, it was just like this little tiny casino, but this, but the race book, you walked in and it was like all like the seats were like, it was like couches and TVs and they had it all set up for a VIP area. And it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Like I said, so Paul, this is like our, we had like a booth. He goes, this is our booth. He goes, yeah, this is our booth. So we, him and I shared a booth in this, in Vegas in this boardwalk casino and he goes so we just bet today and tomorrow morning you come down here there's going to be a voucher in your name and they're going to hand it to you it's going to be nine percent of what you bet the day before and that's all pools right you could bet win play show whatever anything they were giving you nine percent on the whole package so so like you could bet there were a lot of guys that would just bet show you know, at that time, a lot of those guys didn't make it too long because they didn't realize, you know, they got to hit nine out of 10 just to break even, you know, betting show bets. If they're going to pay two ten. they didn't realize the math on that. But we, you know, we never we've never wagered any anywhere like that, as you know. Um, but but the money that you would make on a day that that you would break even was insane. So, like, I mean, it was like nothing else you'd ever seen before in your life. It was just mind-boggling what you could do, you know, um, in a short period of time. You know, just <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was it was nothing like I had ever experienced. You know, like being in Buffalo or being at in uh, at Finger Lakes or whatever. Just because it was oh, now I'm being paid to play. Did you guys stay there? Basically. Yeah. I, so. So I moved in right away. Um, I moved in to the boardwalk, and I, I was just in a regular room for about a month. They charged—I believe they charged me twenty-nine dollars a night at the time to stay there. It was twenty-nine dollars. I had a regular room, and then once I was there about a month, I moved into a suite up in the top of the of the boardwalk. It wasn't much, but it was—they uh, comped me in the suite by then because I was betting so much. And we were—you know—we were helping the casino out by betting there at night, and you know we were. We spend so much money in there because, you know, we lived there. We were there 24-7, you know. You know, it's just – we basically thought we owned the place. We had – every day we would have um, – we would – Paul and I would – Paul or me or a couple other guys, Kenny uh, Weinbaum was there, and there was uh, too much – there was a guy named Too Much Dave. We, we would just – somebody would buy lunch, mostly Paul or me, but we'd buy it for the room. So we'd have like a – we'd have a whole spread out every day for lunch. You know, and because you were there, we would get up at, you know, I'd get up at nine in the morning and play horses till nine at night. You know, we were there all day long. 
it was like our you know it was like being at home we lived there you know right now it was amazing now there's obviously a, a ton more vegas stories i think this might be a good time so is is this where the is this where you guys decided that you needed to have a runner and is this where like i know marvin wasn't the first one but is this kind of the the birth that led to marvin not quite. I don't think we had anybody that ran for us until Paul decided to leave Vegas. You know what I mean? Like, because I, well, you know, that's not true. I think because we had, we had a couple guys, we had like a couple guys, but, um, they were just like, they would go down. What they would do is they would go, they would go down to the, and, and, and run Quinellas. So basically you could get down on house Quinellas all over Vegas at time. You could get, 500 you get a 500 dollars quinell you could get it you might be able to get a thousand dollar one in certain places so that's true we did have a few guys that would do that but we didn't have a permanent like type runner at, at that point yet we that was probably after paul left vegas paul said and, paul uh, paul told me to ask you about a a, uh, a quinella a gold coast q parlay okay this that's a good story, but we got to finish the boardwalk. Okay, first. okay, so, okay. We'll wait. <laughs> well, that's a really good story. So Paul, like, basically, we're in, we're, you know, we're in the boardwalk holiday inn and and making so much money, we don't know what to do. So I, I called Ogre. Ogre's back in, you know, Finger Lakes, and I said, hey, he, he didn't have any money, and he didn't have. This is, you know, going back to like our group guys. We always have guys within our group. I said, why don't you come out to Vegas? You stay in my, you stay in my room. I gave up the other room. I said, you can just stay in it. You stay in it for free or $29 a night. I'll pay for it, whatever. And uh, come on out and t- give it give it a shot. He comes out and just kills it, like, right away. I mean, just crushes it. Hits some pick six at Churchill, and it makes, like, 50 grand. He's on a roll, you know. So so now he joins the he joins the group. And then another guy comes, and he joins the group. So now we got we got a good-sized group that's, that's hanging out in – you know, in this boardwalk holiday in it. And we're having, you know, we're having the time of our lives going out every night. And, and, um, but then, you know, all good things come to an end. The boardwalk one day decides, or I think it was the Mirage buys the, um, boardwalk holiday in Mirage corporation buys it ending the rebates in, um, in the boardwalk. So I got wind that the gold coast would take me, would take me in and they, I could live there. So I go to the Gold Coast and I meet with a guy who's no longer living. His name was Muggsy, and Muggsy decides he was he was at the Orleans. I meet with him and he says, "Hey, I'm going to do that same thing they were doing over there at the boardwalk, but I'm going to do it here. But I'm going to put you in the in the Gold Coast because we need some action over there." So, so I go live in the suite at the Gold Coast for about a couple months, and at that time they're doing. A lot more house Quinellas are doing a lot more parlays. And Greg, Greg, in the meantime, my brother, brother has the trainer has bought this cheap horse that he says he has turned. He turned around like the horse ran last seven times in a row and he wouldn't train and blah, blah, blah. He goes, I turned this horse around. He's working like he's working like 46 every morning. Like he goes, I don't I don't know what the hell they were doing with this horse, but he's working like 46. So I'm in the Gold Coast one day, and I, I said to the people, I said, you know, what's the max parlays you can give me? You know, what's the, you know, what's the max amount of Quinellas you can give me? Because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be good with them. They're trying to be good with me. And 
So I had a plan. We had a plan to bet this horse. We run him at. So we run him at. He's a maiden. Never beat a horse ever. We run him at Penn National. And Paul's at Penn National, and I'm in Vegas. So Paul sends me these parlays to bet all day long. He's betting a horse to win into our horse at Penn National to win. He's betting parlays. So he'll bet like $200 parlay, this horse into that horse, this horse into that horse. And he gets alive, and, and I, I actually add on, so we have, we're doubling up on every one. He gets alive with like 10 of these as the day goes on. So now we have this insane parlay that's not going in the pool because there were parlays that the casino was giving. So they're, you know, they're, the casino's got to gotta pay it based on the odds. So the odds, it wouldn't be affected. So then I said to him, what's the max amount of Quinellas I can bet in, into this race? And they go, well, for you, we'll let you bet $1,000 Quinellas, and we'll let your brother bet $1,000 Quinellas. So Paul says, you know, you pick a few horses, I'll pick a few horses, we'll play $1,000 Quinellas and with our horse just in case he runs second and gets beat. We don't think he's going get, to get beat. So the race comes along at Penn National, and I get a call. I'm in my suite, and I'm watching this race. I'm just about to watch this race, and the people downstairs are nervous as hell. They, they go, you know you're alive to, like, you have, like, parlays that are worth a fortune into this horse, and he's, like, 10 to 1. I go, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I, you know, I mean, if, you know, if it ever wins, blah, blah, blah. They, they're telling me before the race runs. If it ever wins, we'll, you know we'll make sure we keep wagering long enough to, you know, even it out, whatever. So race goes and this maiden goes 20 to 45. This is a maiden five, 22, 45 in a massive speed duel at Penn national, him and another horse are ding dong. He opens up like five turning for home and you can tell he's dying like a rock. He's just dying, just like hitting a wall, right? But there's the bomb that we use in the Quinella is the one that you could tell is going to be the one that's going to beat him, right? You could tell he's going to lose. But if he runs second, we have a $2,000 Quinella at 300 to 1 at 600,000, right? It come to the wire. The bomb is 28 to 1 you know, wins and our horse gets absolutely snapped for second. And I just like fell to the floor. Like you couldn't imagine because he went 45 to the half and like in a maiden five race, he, he would have won by, I mean, he couldn't have lost and he couldn't even hold on for second. It cost <laughs> us like a million dollars. It was the most sickening thing you've ever seen in your life. Oh, the horse ran two weeks later at uh, Rockingham and won by 12 lengths. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? That How's is that unbelievable. How's that for a bad beat? <sighs> the Gold Coast was probably happy that we didn't hit it, but but they were they knew you know I, I was going to stay there and keep betting a ton, so they didn't really care, but that was going to be – that would have been the greatest one-day, one-race score like anybody would ever have in their lives, you know what I mean? No, if he, especially if he won. I mean, if he should have won. What? What? Uh, crazy. I, I was I was hanging out with uh, another one of the characters from the the Matisse clan uh, in Vegas, uh, uh, Husan, and he he told a story about you guys hitting a pick six, and in Vegas, and he was out there, and then you guys were like taping money and putting the money in your socks and trying to. Uh, maybe it might have been Paul uh, trying to get <laughs> trying to get back to New York, but didn't want to yeah, fly all the money. Yeah, because at that time I don't. 
I think at that time, I don't think you could take more than a certain amount of money on an airplane. I don't think it was international, you know, back then, in the 90s. I don't, I'm not sure about the laws. But, yeah, I do remember that he had him and who would, like, take, you know, like, 10 grand to them because we had to, you know, you get it back somehow. If you were going back, you had to get the money somehow unless you wanted to drive and we weren't driving that far. <laughs> so yeah, there were some, there were some, some airplane rides that were a little bit, um, <laughs> a little bit dicey. I guess that, I don't know about those stories, but that would be, we did it. So that's, I mean, going back to the boardwalk. So what really got us going at the boardwalk is, um, in the winter of, uh, 96, we had a pick six at Aqueduct that paid four hundred thousand. Was split between like five guys, and the last horse went off like fifty to one, and and um, yeah, the thing pay it was it had to pay for it. It was a whole pool. I mean, it wasn't even anybody close. We got like all the fives too, because I mean, it was just a that was a that was that was what really really got us going. Well, what did you? And another, I, there's yeah. another one at Boardwalk that was really interesting. Another interesting. Um, I think that Paul uh, mentioned to me uh, recently. He, if he wanted to know if I remembered, there was this horse that um, it was the last race at Aqueduct one day, and th- I can lead into something else with this. There was there was a horse that for some unknown reason I had this big trip on, and I told Paul about it, and I told my brother Greg about it, and I said you got to bet this horse, you got to bet this horse. This horse is ninety nine to one. 99 to one. And I'm telling people to bet it. And they're like, you're out of your mind. I'm not going to bet 90. I said, just bet this horse. Key him first, second, and third, blah, blah, blah. Play him in, play him in tries, play him exactly. bet him win place show, whatever. So I bet, I bet 400 across on this horse. He's 99 to one, right? He runs second, right? And I'm like sick because it's like, you know, 99 to one shots. And he got beat. He got beat very little. He got beat less than a length. I'm like sick that I got this 99 to one shot that runs second. Right. So it's like a long delay. And they throw up an inquiry, throw up an inquiry, right, against the winner. And I got 400 across. I'm sitting. I'm laying down in this booth like. Like can't look at the TV waiting for this inquiry, and, and and I watch it like a million times. You know, like it doesn't look like they're gonna. It, it didn't look like it was that bad, right? They take him down. They take the winner down. And I just could not believe it. It was like, it was like one of the most unbelievable things. Like to have a ninety-nine to one shot that you like, he gets put up, and you got four hundred across on him. It was like it was insane, and. The weird part about it is my brother Greg, who had bet the horse, he bet supers, right? He hit the super, but he threw away his ticket. He was at Suffolk Downs. Threw away his ticket, and he couldn't find it. So finally, somebody – he didn't even know you could even do it at the time. So, find, somebody told him to go to you know, like the mutuals department and tell him you lost the ticket because it would be easy to find because it, was, it, was, it paid so much. And see if it was at Suffolk that they had a superfected ticket. So he had to file a report with the mutuals department, and it took like like 45 or 90 days, and he finally got his money for it for for that ticket because because uh, nobody ever claimed it. Oh. Because he, he had the super, and he threw it away because he lost because he I, I don't know how he didn't put him second though. It, was, it seems like one of the dumbest things ever that he threw it away. Right. 
but yeah, but he did. He he's that kind of better. He bets crazy. He would only put a ninety-nine to one shot on top. <laughs> and and I know you you might transition to another story, but real quick, what would that horse? What price would that horse be tomorrow if he ran? You know, would he still be ninety-nine to one, or would probably not? Because back then, you know, um, you know, to to think about what Paul and I used to go through on a daily basis, and uh, again, this is an, I can lead into another thing. We used to carry these tote bags around, like gym, like um, like duffel bags full of programs. And not only that, full of videotapes. Remember the cassette tape videotapes? Yeah, VHS we used or to, VHS. We used to tape the races all the time, right? So we would tape them and then watch them later. So we would VHS, run the VHS all day, you know, like – and if you remember – you probably don't remember. You're too young. But <laughs> they had these little – they had these little TVs that had the little VHS in it. And we wanted so bad to put one in the boardwalk because they had these little TVs on the um, in the booths. They had these little TVs. So one night at like two in the morning, we had this great idea to go buy this this TV with the VHS in it, right? And we 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 take the other TV off and we put our TV on the <laughs> the mount so that we can record the races all day in the boardwalk. So then, like every morning, all we'd have to do is go downstairs, and you know we could we could watch. We bring these big bags of videos, and we watch all our replays as you know as the day goes on. So we weren't missing anything. So we were watching replays in the boardwalk and betting because we had our own we had our own TV VCR. It was insane. I mean, the stuff we did there was just sick. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's amazing because I mean I know obviously how important replays and stuff are now oh. and and. And that's, you know, it wasn't nearly as available. And, and if you think no. about it, it's like, you know, you think about these horses that, you know, we all like that are three to one now because they had yeah, these crazy was... trips. Like no one, people didn't know that. No, that horse would today couldn't go off more than 10 to one. No way. You know what I mean? It's just, it was right. one of those, it's just the times it's, it's crazy the way, you know, you see how over bad horses get when they have a bad trip. It's insane. Back then. It wasn't in the form, you know, the chart callers couldn't get, they couldn't catch everything, you know, it was a, it was a different world. I would, you know, you wish you could dial back, but <laughs> the, the technology is so much better. So it's, everybody's got it. The information wasn't passed around, you know, nearly as much. I mean, all people, all people had was a racing form. That's all they had. It was nothing else. I mean, there might've been, there was, I guess there was ragazins. It was rags and sheets and racing forms. That was about it. Did you ever get into rags? No, we didn't believe in their concept because of the ground loss thing. Because we're such bias-oriented guys, Paul right. and I. We look for biases, you know, constantly, even though there's not so many anymore. But um, but back then, track biases were – they were a dime a dozen. They were everywhere. I mean, yeah. And that's one thing I never yeah. – I never really – I never got into. And then I met you guys and – and now I just, you know, you know, with all due respect, I just, I don't, yeah. I just kind of, it, it doesn't well, make sense not, to me. Um, no. But it's crazy to me how much those numbers influence the bloodstock market. It's oh, yeah. like, you know, you know, I, I mean, our buddy Jake Ballas is always talking about how, how, and, and he, look, he, he's understands, but he knows that like, once the rag comes out on a horse, the price can go up. Yeah. Or down, and it's it's crazy to me that that's what that's what that's what moves the needle. 
it's amazing the concept that nobody ever knocked the concept because the concept if people don't know is ground loss we're going to give you we're going to make your we're going to make the horse lower just because of ground loss so if the horse is five wide uh let's say let's say let's say he gets beat a length and he's five wide and the you know he's going to get a lower number than the winner which to me might not make sense depending on what the way the track was playing you know what i mean right five five wide doesn't always mean a, a bad thing no especially, especially if you don't get stopped yeah. either you know right. not getting right. stopped is clear yeah might be in the clear. The pace might have been fast. You know, I mean, it might have been a lot of fac- factors that why he was five wide. And they and they only did, uh, I think, first turn, second turn, if I remember right. I think they didn't. They didn't do. They just and on, I think it was only first turn and routes and you know, you know the other, you know the three eighth pole on uh, on sprints. So I mean, a horse can be at five wide at one point and, and he could be inside at another point. So. You know how that goes. I mean, it's trips. There's inside out trips and outside in trips, and right. Could you? Just, we didn't really believe in the concept, so right. we never got into them. Now, when you guys were out in Vegas at, at Boardwalk, you said that you know eventually got to a point where your room was comped. Which, I mean, did you guys have like dinner comps too? I mean, could you go to the steakhouse and and act obnoxious, and it was it was all on the house, or did you? Was it was was that how Vegas was then? Did you still have to pay for that? Vegas was so awesome in, in the ni- late '90s. I mean, we we got to know so many, so many, you know, um, just not necessarily big shots, but people that could get you things. Right? You know, you go into um, a different casino, you go into the Mirage, and the, and the race book operator would say, "Hey, you guys came in. You bet. You know, we we know you to bet over there, and you guys came in. Thanks." Why don't you guys go to, you know, they were just so generous. They, they said, why don't you just go to the steakhouse? You know, here's here's a thousand, you know, comps, you know, you just do whatever you want. And then, you know, things like getting into clubs. It was just like you walked into a to a Studio 54 in the, in, you know, in the MGM and hand the doorman $100 and your whole group was going in. You know what I mean? Things like that were – it was just so easy and – and for uh, and uh, for us being in our twenties, we just we took it. I mean, we probably did, you know, more in our twenties than we probably did the rest of our lives because we just got to do all this stuff in Vegas. We got to go to shows. We got to go to. We went to comedy clubs all the time. I mean, Paul reminded me of a comedy club <laughs> incident. Like um, <laughs> one day, we we go to this comedy club and. The comedian's not doing very well, and for some reason he picked on me and the audience. You know how they go around and they start asking you things. And he goes, "What do you do?" And I said, oh, "I'm a professional gambler." He goes, "Oh yeah, uh, professional gambler in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you make a lot of money." And and he and I go, "No, nah, I, I do pretty well." And he goes, "He goes, oh uh, yeah, I bet." You know, he was joking with me, blah blah blah. So I said, to him, "I said, I bet I'm a better professional gambler than you are a comedian." And I said it <laughs> right right back to him. And he, he looked at me, and he's like, he's like, oh my god. He goes, he must be pretty good for for the call to call me. <laughs> I was a little obnoxious in my twenties, so I, mean, I, said, I said stuff like that. that you know, it was, but it was it was it was perfect because he was picking at me, so I picked on him back. You, you talked about calling. Uh, it made me think of a story Paul told me once where. You uh, and look, this is not look. We understand there's, there's real problems out there, but it's funny in this situation. But the uh, you guys were sitting at a bar and and someone uh, was trying to convince you that gambling is bad, and then you called Gamblers Anonymous. Oh my God, I can't believe that one. I did do that. I actually did do that. 
I called up and I can't remember a lot of the conversation, but I, I just, I mean, we were drinking so much and it was just so funny. And I can't remember what the lady said to, to me, but I said to her, I said, I said, you know, I really don't, I don't think I have a gambling problem because I can't stop winning. <laughs> and she goes, she goes, what do you mean? She goes, she goes, well, I thought you had a gambling problem. I go, yeah, I can't stop winning. I just win all the time. And she goes, really? She's like, now she's, now she's turned the corner. She's like, she's like, well, I'm, I might want to meet you. <laughs> you know, I was like, I call gamblers anonymous and, the, and I turn the lady around because I told her I can't stop winning. <laughs> you know, what's funny is, 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 is there's a lot of professional horse players that kind of lose that excitement. They lose, like, and I don't mean this to be ugly, but like Paul, you know, he'll hit a 25 to one shot and you would never know. No. Um, you know, uh, Mike Maloney, my friend Mike Maloney is very similar to that. But you're a little bit different. When, when you win, there's still that level of excitement. You have all your catchphrases that you say. Uh, and, and, and one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite ones is, is how you like me now, Joe. Oh man, that is the, one of the best. That's one of that's gotta be my best Vegas story of all time, because believe it or not, this night, this was, or this was really early on in Vegas and we we're staying at the treasure Island at the time. I'm not sure why I'm not, I was before boardwalk days. It was like in the mid nineties, I think 95 and Oh, I know why we were staying there because the guy I was playing blackjack with was, was Mark Hopkins. So Mark Hopkins works for Buyer, and Paul had had just you know he kind of had just stopped working for them, but he was a good friend of my dad's, Mark Hopkins, and blah blah. blah. And he goes, "Hey, uh, I'm coming out to Vegas. I'm going to stay at the Treasure Island." He says, "I'll, I'll get everybody rooms." But I said, "We well, don't need to get us rooms. We'll get rooms." And uh, he goes, "I like to play blackjack by the book. If anybody wants to play with me, now here's a guy." got tons of money right i mean i mean not tons of money but plenty of money he's playing he's got the little chart he's got the little book chart and he's got it in front of him right and he's playing like same amount of money like almost every hand maybe he's doubling up maybe here or there but he's betting like 10 10 to 10 to 50 dollars no more than that right per hand i said i'll play with you he goes if you don't mind i said i said i'll even play the way you're playing i said just tell me you know what you know, the way that things, how that thing says, every time I have a question, I might not know whether the book says like, if I'm have to split this or split that. And so we're sitting there and we're getting a little hot. Like we're, we're, we're doing pretty good. And he goes, Hey, what do you like to drink? And I was like, I don't care. Just order something. He orders uh Sambuca on the rocks. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll drink it. So I started drinking these Sambucas and I'm playing and I'm starting to win a little bit more money, starting to get looser, starting to play like, you know, little more than I normally would. I, I start playing two, three hundred dollars a hand. And so there was this dealer that they brought in because I'm getting real hot and I was winning. I start I probably was up maybe five grand, right? Betting two, three hundred a hand. So I'm you know, obviously I'm winning a lot of hands. So they bring in this uh dealer and he He's like you could tell he was somebody. Like they, the pit boss comes over and starts watching. You could tell he was dealing the cards real fast. Like he, he was like their, you know, their, their cooler or whatever you want to call it. The guy that's supposed to cool me off, right? And uh, I think I played. I think I played this hand for five hundred. I think is what it was, five hundred, right? And I don't know how many 
but I just start splitting tens like against like a five or a six. I start splitting them like crazy. I start splitting them, and I got like five or six hands. I'm covering like the entire table with these hands, and I got 21 on all of them. Not necessarily blackjack, but they, I hit them all into 21, right? I get 21 on all of them. And I look at this dealer, and I go, how you like me now, Joe? Because <laughs> I got so many 21s, and I'm like, I'm like, what do I even do with all this? Like, <laughs> I looked at him, he looked at me, and he goes, man, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Oh, my God. That's my favorite. Oh. It was insane. It was, and I was like 25, 24, 25 at the time, and I was hammered, hammered off my mind. Like, I played till like 4 in the morning playing blackjack. Couldn't lose. It was one of just one of those streaks where you just, I was winning like 80% of my hands. They couldn't, they did everything they could to stop me. It was just one of those nights. <laughs> and you can imagine me being there like till 4 in the morning, what I looked like at the end of that. Oh, my God. No, I, I. I can see it. I can see it. Where, where did it? Uh, How you like me now, Joe? It reminds me of, of another one of yours. I, I think it's actually maybe Battler has something to do with it. But I, I love it when uh, when you get a nice "How are you?" out of Duke. How are you? <laughs> How are? I don't know who started "How are you." That's a good question. I think it had to be Battler because he says it so much. Um, you know, that's that. How are you? Has gone a long ways in the last. Uh, 10 years because when we started that I think we probably said it differently than we used to say it you know like now it's developed into the you know the big how are you you know like and Rich Averill is he's he might be the best at saying it you know like because like you ever see him you've seen him on a crap table. he's a madman oh my gosh he's a madman and when he gets into the how are you's like when he's throwing the dice oh my god Oh, I know. That is that's something to see. I I uh so if anybody wants a good act, good just just a good entertainment. Oh my god. Go watch go watch Rich throw the dice for an hour. So, I'm going to so all right, so I've been trying to get him to name a horse how are you, but he says he won't do it cuz the R's not first, but whatever. Oh, right, cuz he has to have the R first. But so look, I'm going to quick pause on this cuz I have to tell this story because I will eventually have Rich on this show. But I can't have him tell this story. I have to tell this story. So it's me, you, and Rich right. during the NHC this year, and we're playing craps. Oh, yeah. Rich and I are out. Uh, it's it's on Saturday. So Rich and I are out. Yeah, yeah, Rich and I are out, but you made the cut. Right. So you so you went home. So we're playing craps. Not, not early, by the way. No, not early. <laughs> but you had to go. You couldn't stay out as late as we were out. Right. So we're, we're, we're sitting. We're playing. And, you know, and, and Rich... He, he gets down on the craps table. We're at the Cosmo, so he feels very empowered there, as he should because he's betting more than anyone else at the craps table. And so, you know, they get, you, you get to be – you get a longer leash. Well, these people come over who – and ironically, we had bet Oregon State versus Oregon in basketball. And these Oregon fans come over. That's a younger couple and all their buddies on the other side of the table. And, you know, Rich just, and I'm the same way when it comes to craps, there's etiquette. You know, you don't say seven at the table. Don't throw the damn dice off the table. Like, there's a lot of things you don't do. Well, this girl comes up and she throws the dice off the table. I'm not joking you six times. And finally, you know, you know exactly. It reminded me when you said, how are you? It reminds me of Rich. Rich goes, he didn't say it at her, but he says, you have to be the worst roller I have ever seen in my life. 
And so her husband gets defensive, says something. Next thing you know, Rich is over there. He's got him in a chokehold. I'm trying to split it up. Security comes. Uh, Thank God yeah. I left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you got out of there right on time. But uh, no, Rich is Rich is uh, is is hilarious. Um. Now, so. Does, was the fact that you guys, the, the rebates just kind of, why did the rebates dry up? Um, how do you feel about that? And is that what made you guys decide to leave? Um, so the rebates dried up because for some unknown reason, the big, the bigger race book casinos, the bigger casinos like um, Bellagio and um mgm and mandalay bay they were complaining that all the handle was in the smaller casinos which i don't know why they really cared so much because they were just jealous that they didn't have any big players so they went to the gaming commission and said hey you know they're they're not really because they you know to give the rebates they had to do things a little, not necessarily shady, but they had to do a way where the casino had to earn the money. You know, the racebook had to earn the money. So what they, what they would do is they would they would take five horse fields and Dutch the Quinellas at the time because that that was always a winning thing, and they would just do it with massive amounts of money. So they would basically earn the money on the house side to give to the players, you know, as their rebates. So that was what that was like their that was their way of giving them to us. And the other casinos just got jealous, and then the gaming commission got involved. And the gaming commission is very strict. If if you don't know Vegas, the gaming commission runs that town, and, and if they don't like something, they don't let you do it. You know, they there we we even had a we had a short period of time where we moved into a different casino in North Las Vegas because we wanted to just be kind of like anonymous, and and it was like four of us betting there, and we did that. We ran a contest every week. Well, the gaming commission got wind of the contest that we were running, and the casino was just basic, basically, you know, funding the contest. They were giving us bonuses for playing this contest, right? So the gaming commission got wind of it that we were playing this contest, and they and they sent guys in to try to beat us out of the money in the contest. Well, sometimes they lost, and we took the gaming commission's money, and sometimes they won and they took our money. But but just for the fact that they were trying to disrupt our our uh, our plan made us just kind of say, it's not worth it, you know, because by then, um, the guy who, I became really good friends with um, Kirk Brooks, who ran the um, Boardwalk Holiday Inn um, race book, and he opened um, RGS, now that's racing and gaming, and he opened that, and I didn't really need to go in the casino, I just liked going to the casino, because it was fun to be betting in the casino versus betting from home, or, you know, uh, offshore or whatever on a, on a computer or on a on a phone whatever I just liked it better it was just more enter- you know it was just more exciting so once it became a hassle I turned I took everything you know offline uh, onto I mean not offline online I took everything to the computer and to the to the phone and you know they were giving they were giving plenty good enough rebates for us to you know keep making money so. That's just kind of it's just kind of the way the world went, you know. It just they just kind of it's like they ran us out of town, you know, that kind of thing. I would love to I would love for Vegas to be the same and still be doing what I was doing then, but you know, it just right. all good things come to an end. Now, for for the people the uninitiated, um, you know, why, you know, in, in and you know, I don't want to 
you know, go on forever about the boring rebate, but why is it important for you to have a rebate? And, and do you think it's fair that you get one? Um, it's like being the, you know, the better customer, I guess, the more you bet, the more you should be, you know, I guess it's sort of like anything else. It's like, you're the big, you're the big business guy, you know, you, you're supporting the business the most, you should get the most reward, I would say, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's necessarily um, the greatest thing in the world now, because now I'm on the other side. Because now nowadays we have these computer guys getting rebates, and they're just kind of raking pools. So I think the rebate has kind of shot itself in the foot in 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 a sense because guys that aren't trying to win that are trying to lose but bet large large amounts of money and just win on the rebates. That's not really what horse racing was all about i mean we were we never paul and i have never ever bet one race where we tried to break even not in our entire lives and if he has i don't know about it and i would i would bet a million dollars against it i've never done that in my life ever bet a race where i said i'm just gonna bet this race to break even you know what i mean we bet each race to try to win whatever you know to win to maximize our profit that's the way we bet that's the way we've always bet and rebates make it easier for guys that were just trying to tread water and just churn money but it's good for the game because they increase handle right so it's kind of it's kind of catch-22 thing i mean for me i'd like to see them almost go away and go back to the go back to the beginning where everybody's on an equal playing field and these computer guys got to bet without them because I don't think they do as well. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky, right? It's, it's a catch 22 because obviously we want, we want their money in the pool. We want their handle. Yeah. Because especially because they're not, they're not, they're not as, and this is going to sound weird, but they're not as good as a good horse player is. No, they're not. And they don't pretend to be either. They, but uh, it's not, that's not their MO. They, but like you said, they, they pull all the meat off the bone. So when we right. finally do get a drumstick, it's just like, ugh, where, yeah. where's this, you know, so. Where's that been? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that's the, that's the tough part about it. Jane. Genu- so well, you going back to your beginning, going yeah. back to the beginning, you said, why, you know, why, why is my handle going down so much? That's pretty much the reason why. I mean, because there's so, there's just not those opportunities of, of, you know, 10, 15 to one shots aren't there. And, you know, there's so many less races and so many just less, you know, uh, races that you can, that you can make a big profit in, you know, on the big days you can, but cause you know, there's, there's some, there's more money in the pools and there's more people playing on Derby day and, you know, breeders cup day. You can, you can make a big score on those days, but it's hard on an everyday basis. Oh, absolutely. Those, those are the days that, that uh, get me the most excited. Um, right. January first, two thousand, New Year's Eve. What what happened? Oh, the millennium. <laughs> I think that was the day Paul got real mad at me. Because <laughs> I, I I didn't go out because I think uh, I think Carson was only about a year old, and uh, I think he I think he was out pretty late at night, and I believe. If you tell, if you want me to tell that story, I think that's the story where he calls me in the morning and asks me if I liked anything today. And uh, for some reason, I told him no. 
I don't remember. I don't remember what I liked or what I didn't like. But maybe I hadn't really looked into the form that well, or maybe I hadn't. You know, because ba- again, back then we didn't have a database. So for me to for me to even get all my stuff, I had to go through programs and sheets and stuff and look stuff up. You know, and I'm not sure. This might have been a day where I just didn't, where I wasn't. It could have been my wife was yelling at me. Who knows? You know, that's my first wife that. You know, anyway, um, who knows what happened? But when he called, I, he goes, he goes, I don't want to miss anything. Yeah, I've been, you know, I've been out, blah, blah, blah. He says, do you like anything? And I said, no, nah, I don't really like anything. And it, it was a bad thing for me to have said because about two hours later, I was up so much money. He, was, he got so mad at me. It was ridiculous because I hit like everything. I hit like, you know four or five races in a row and, and just crushed it and i think he went back to sleep and and uh i don't know if nicky's ever forgave me for that <laughs> he's still mad he, i think he i think he reminded me of that about a few weeks ago <laughs> it's been 20 years <laughs> oh yeah he's he's not gonna forget anything no, uh, he doesn't forget anything he doesn't forget anything I've, I've, uh, obviously the pick six is, it has, has kind of lost its, its luster a little bit. I think, um, I think you'll agree with that. I mean, these, these, uh, jackpot bets just seem to be constantly disappointing. Um, it's disappointing because the, uh, the effective takeout on a normal day is, is, is too much to overcome that the 20 cent minimum is very computer automated wager friendly. Even the days that we have these big mandatory payouts, I, I know you feel the same way. It feels like every time I hit it, I'm like, what? Really? Yeah. Is 17 million in there? I hit a 10 to 1 shot, a 4 to 1 shot. I paid $2,800. Like, how? I mean, you guys have a really good relationship with the pick six and what it meant to, to kind of build your portfolio when you became a professional. Yeah, that's probably the. And, and people will say, you know, that I mean, we used to have people tell us like because paul and i were probably I, I mean i don't know if we're the biggest winners ever in the history of the pick six but we got to be one of we've hit so many and so many big ones um that you know it really ruined our you know we, we were very very good not to be like totally you know i don't want to sound like i'm a genius or anything but but we were very, very good at designing pick six tickets. We became really good at it. And and, and I'm not saying we would put a ton of money into it. We'd play tickets for $432, $696. We, we just were very good at designing these tickets um, on these days where there were carryovers. And it really – these jackpot things are – I mean, they're atrocious. I despise them. They're they're just awful. They don't they don't make any sense. I mean, if you and one other guy, if like if you give your ticket to one other guy, you you can't hit the jackpot. I mean, how stupid is that? That I mean, just because you and your buddy bet it, now you can't win. Or you know, it's just the payouts are so bad because the computer betters it ro- it rolls into their it rolls right into what they want to do. They want a million combinations at the lowest possible cost. And they can get all those wagers in, in in ten seconds, so they're betting all these combinations into these into these jackpot wagers and just killing the pools. You can tell because the payouts are, they stink every time. Even when even when there's bombs, I think they stink. I think the payoffs have been horrendous. Um, no, for sure. We 
I mean, we lived off the pick six for a long, long time, and I, and I think that actually made people, you know, jealous or whatever. They, I think that's probably why they they went to this, you know, thing because they said that the the better gamblers were were taking most of the pick six money away. But I mean, but that it was it was such a thrill to bet a pick six. I mean, a two dollar pick six, and and it still is. Even I still bet them. You know, where I, I bet them at Los Al once in a while, and I don't even know anything about the quarters, right? I'll still bet one because I'll, I'll watch the first three thoroughbreds and and just try to somehow come up with the because it's two dollars i just love the fact that it's a two dollar pick six absolutely i I, I love that wager you know we we were uh um i've never said this before like publicly but we were and i won't say with racetrack but we were barking up the tree right before all of this stuff happened and we were pretty close to getting a uh a uh three dollar pick five at a a big racetrack and i still think we, we probably have a chance of doing it eventually but a $3 pick five at a racetrack. And now it had to be a middle pick five because they weren't going to mess with the late. They weren't going to mess with the early. But I still think there was something to be said and something to be learned about that. I mean, I, look, I get it. It's expensive. But, you know, so are Ferraris, right? And yeah. you just, you can't have, you, if you can't afford it, you can't have one. And that's okay. Right. But, but you, you can have to play it. Yeah, but you can, you, but you also can just play it in a more, in a tight way. Now, the way that you play, you've learned to play these 50 cent pick fives where you can spread and hit the all button. Obviously you can't do that, but you know, it's just a different type of wager. So, you know, yeah, the pick six was, was, I mean, a wager that I think we really spent a lot of time on it and, and realized that you could, you didn't have to do it necessarily with singles, but you could play three different tickets, tickets with like three different singles and play different horses on some. And we just, and we just kind of figured out the formulas that worked well for that wager and it, you know it's a shame that they're no longer there I, I got i got a great pick six story that i gotta tell um which wasn't that long ago i, I want it because it's it's been since i've been um in laguna beach um it was about i would say it was about six years ago and my wife had some friends that came into town and we were going to meet them for uh, like an early lunch in a in a um beachside restaurant and i had to decide you know to put my wagers in the beginning of the day so i uh i bet it, i i bet some things and blah 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 and and it's getting to the i think it was getting we, we got you know we got into some wine and stuff with these friends and we're sitting there for hours and hours and we end up you know walking on the beach and just doing the other things and i and i i kind of forget about the races right and Paul calls me up before the last, after the last race at uh, New York that day. I can't remember if it was Aqueduct or Belmont, but he calls me up and he says, he says, "Oh my God, did you hit that horse?" And I go, "No, don't tell me." He goes, he goes, "Yeah, that horse we we've been waiting for won the last. He paid like sixty dollars, and I didn't. He goes, I didn't play a pick six today, and I didn't play a." I didn't play a pick late pick four. I don't think there were pick fives at times, so it might have been like ten years ago. But anyway, he goes, he goes, oh, you you could have made a fortune. He says I fucked everything up. Oh, I should probably shouldn't say fuck on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I can I can either decide if I'm gonna bleep it or leave it. I'll probably just leave it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, he goes, and I go, yeah. I said, I, he goes, I've been trying to get a hold of you. I said, yeah, my phone doesn't work in this restaurant. I'm sitting down by the beach. I'm with these friends. And he goes, he goes, yeah, you're not gonna be happy when you look at that, you know, later on. So, so then I get thinking, right? Because I bet early in the day, and I, and I get thinking, like, I'm, I, 
after the call, I hang up with him and I, and I go, I go shit, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go look at. Um, I had to like leave the restaurant because I couldn't get any, you know, I couldn't get on anything in there. So I walked to a place where I could get on, and uh, I checked my account, and I look at my account, and it's like significantly higher than you know it was before this day started, right? And I'm thinking to myself, this is like, I mean, this is like three hours after the races have, have ended. And I'm thinking, what the hell did I hit? And I'm thinking maybe it was just a mistake that somebody put the wrong money in the wrong account. So I call Paul back and I go, I go, will you check my account? Cause I can't get into, I can't get into it. I'm not on a computer. I can't get into it. And he goes, he goes, you wouldn't believe it. He goes, you hit the pick six. And I go, what? I said, I don't even remember betting a pick six. He goes, yeah, you hit the pick six at New York with that horse in the last. I paid $60. And I go, I go, oh, my God, I forgot I even played it. I mean, it was unbelievable. And this is, it was like, this this is, is six, six figures. figures. Yeah. yeah and, six and, figures. And I forgot I played it. I, I it think I, I think I remember it, it might not have been that long ago. Well, maybe this just happened twice to you. <laughs> maybe no. it's happened twice to you. Someone texted me one day and said, uh, where you, where you bet from it? They said, uh, they said, Hey, the person who hit the pick six bet it from so-and-so was it Duke. And I texted you and you're like, yeah, I did. I, he's like, yeah, I, I did. I hit it. And I was like, Oh my God. It was like, and that was, that was six figures as well. So. It might have been. I don't know if it was that same day or not. Yeah, it probably was. But I, I was so weird because I didn't even remember betting it because I bet it in the morning. Like I even bet it before scratches. Like I just bet it right before you know, like when I left the house, which was you know early in the day, and it was, it was such a strange feeling to uh, have like not even it didn't even click that I hit it even after even after you know like it was it was so weird to have that and but that's the the pick six is like the most amazing bet for sure out of any bet paul paul said you guys hit one at the at the nhc one time where you celebrated it was a, there was a dq oh yeah and uh and everyone thought which is you know we, we've seen this happen at the at the nhc a lot where you hear someone yelling for a 60 to one shot you think they hit it in the tournament and they hit a 50 cent try but uh your pick six was was a little bit more significant <laughs> yeah i remember that one i think it was at bally's uh, when the when the NHG was at Valley's and uh, I told those guys I said now listen because it was it was at it was at Santa Anita I said listen to Trevor's voice and if he says if he says it like ladies and gentlemen then you know he's they're leaving it up but if he says ladies and gentlemen like in a in a you know like in a louder like more you know significant <laughs> yeah. voice you know they're taking it down and he came on and everybody thought you know everybody thought we had no shot like on the dq like no shot or was it must have been the other way no it was the other way around we needed it to stay up and we thought we were going to get taken down and he comes on and he says it in his in his in his soft voice and everybody goes oh no he said you know i said no he said it in the soft voice he's going to stay up and sure enough he stayed up <laughs> he goes ladies and gentlemen and i said oh he's going to stay up <laughs> what's your What's your worst, what's your, I mean, this is, and, and you might, there's probably so many of them, you don't even know what your worst bad beat is, but like over, what, what's the one that you just, if someone said your worst bad beat of your 24 career, 24 year professional horse player career, what was it and, and how much was it for? I mean, well, how much were you going to win? Not how much did you bet? 
the the worst one I can remember right now is I there's so many of them, but the one that sticks out is the is the Derby um, where Orb won. And um, because the only reason I I'll never forget this is because I didn't go to this Derby. Now you as you know I go to almost all of them, and I've been to like 20 out of the last 22. But for this year that I didn't go, the reason I didn't go is because my wife's grandmother was turning 100, and um, they were throwing a 100-year birthday party for her at her house. So I go to I go to the house um, and watch the race from there, from their living room on a, on a little on – it was actually her living room on a little TV. She lived in this, uh, this older uh, – you know, older person's you know, development. She lived in there. She had this little little tiny TV that I'm watching on. It was ancient, right? And I'm putting in bets for everybody there on the derby, right? So this lady sitting next to me, she goes, "I want to bet. I want to bet. I want to bet the derby." She goes, "I want to bet five dollars across on this horse." And she goes, "This lady says she wants to bet. They're they're all like, you know, they're all older women because she's a hundred, right? So all these older ladies are all giving me, you know, these bets, and I'm putting them all in, right?" So after I put all their bets in, I, I go outside and put all mine in. And I loved Orb, but the horse that had to be in it, which is, his name is escaping me right now. He ran third, whoever it was. Revolu- uh, revolutionary. Okay, Revolutionary. And the horse that ran fourth, you know who that was? Um, no, so Golden, well, I know who ran second, which is part of the, yeah. <laughs> this is part of the, that's part of the story. Uh, was revolutionary. Uh, what was that? That was the 2016 Kentucky Derby, I think was no four. When was Orb? Orb was before American Pharaoh, 2014 see if I can, Kentucky uh, Derby. I, can pull up a chart. I got it. I, I'll, 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 uh, no, that was California Chrome. So it must've been 2013. The horse that was fourth was third and fourth were my keys that okay here it is here it is normandy in. invasion yeah, so normandy fourth. invasion right right normandy invasion so they're coming down the stretch and it's looking unbelievable i think normandy invasion had the lead and um you know orb was coming and i could see that revolutionary was making a move right but the lady to my right who had given me a bet five dollars across the board She's got golden soul. And all I hear, like in my ear, is, come on, golden soul. Come on, golden soul. Come on, golden soul. And he snapped Revolutionary and Normandy Invasion. And, I mean, I just, like, fell to the floor at this hundred. And, I, and I'm and i screaming for him for, no, no, no golden soul. No golden soul, because I don't have him. And she's yelling, come on, Golden Soul, come on, Golden Soul. And I'm like, no, no. And I couldn't believe when he snapped me on the wire because I, I can't even imagine the amount of money because I don't, I don't know what everything was paying, but I had it try supers, buried, exactos, everything with those three horses. And I'll never forget that because I'm at a, I'm at a, a old lady, <laughs> old lady, my, my, my grandmother's on her on her first birthday and I'm just like disheveled like after the derby and she's jumping up and down like because she won her five dollars across on Golden Soul and if you look up Golden Soul's form after that race oh I'm not sure I'm not sure he ever beat another horse it's funny so you talk about form after the race when you started to tell the story and you said derby 
I thought for sure you were going to tell the 2017 Derby story when you had like, I, I, I think you, I don't know if you were single, but you well, had one, thunder that's snow. A bad, that's, a, that's a real bad one because, but who knows what, what would have happened. I mean, we had a, we had the pick six going. That was still a real pick six. Um, we had the pick six going to thunder snow. And not only that, I had him in pick fives, pick fours. I had him in everything. I was I was alive for well over seven figures to Thunder Snow. Well over, because the pick six was over right. a million. And just to remind everyone, that was when DeVisadero won at a nice price. Limousine yes. Liberal was like nine to one. Arclo. I had a good day regardless. I just remember being alive to uh, Thunder Snow, and I'm watching it from the um, sixth floor on the balcony. And I go outside and and they break. And I said to I said to Kimberly, I said, I'm not gonna watch the rest of the race. And she goes, Why? I said, Do you see who that horse that's buck jumping back there? I said, That's the horse that I'm alive to for about two million. So I went back inside and sat down because you, you knew he was you know, he was done. And I didn't there was nothing else for me to I mean, I played him underneath, you know, like in Exactus Tri Supers, just in case, you know, Somebody beats him. You know, I played all kinds of things, but it didn't matter because he had, he had already – he didn't make it to me. He didn't he, he didn't get to where I was standing. He was eased before that. It was I was like – I don't know if that's the worst beat because he never even got there, but that's, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I just it's just like what he turned out to be, you know. He won the Dubai World Cup. Twice. Yeah, I mean he ended up being like a real horse, which, oh, goodness gracious. That would I have still been. don't know what happened to him that day. Does anybody? I think the saddle slipped. I think the saddle slipped, and uh, I think that like the girth like went back and and maybe was was like I think it was like like around his 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 business. I, I, yeah, from what I remember, and so that's why he right. he he and you know and who knows? I mean, always dreaming got that beautiful trip on the rail that was gold in that day, and then got off of it, and so maybe he was never beating him, but. Yeah. You know, he was drawn down inside too. I think he was in the five hole, so he could have ended up getting a good. We trip. thought he, we thought he was going to get the lead. Right. We thought he would go right to the front because Paul had Paul had a good figure on him in, uh, in Dubai in the what was it? Must have been the UAE Derby or whatever it was. Right. 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 Yep. Exactly. Um, yeah. He uh, he had a good figure on. Him. He had him running faster than the horses that were you know in the United States, and you know it was just it was that was a. I wouldn't call it a bad beat, but that was a very, uh, very bad story. Absolutely. There's always bad stories that go along with the good ones. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, looking got... at gold, I'm looking at Golden Souls form, by the way. I just pulled it up. After the Kentucky Derby, he ran in the Haskell. He ran or ran in the Belmont. He ran ninth. He ran in the Haskell, got beat 30. He ran in the Travers, got beat 12. I mean, he didn't win a race until he won a one other than the next year at, in Churchill in November. <laughs> How's that for a beat? How's that for a beat here on second in the derby? And then he won, and then he won like a, a, a non-winners of three, and then never yeah. won again. Yeah. Oh Is man, that disgusting or what? it's awful. But that's, that's horse racing. That's horrendous. But you know, you you've had some good moments too. You got you oh, got you got put up. Tough. You got put up last year, right, with Country House? Yes, that was. You know, I was I was having probably the worst year I've ever probably had in like you said. How many years have you lost? I was losing last year going into the derby pretty bad and it was continuing from the kind of from the year before and 
I think I did your I think I did your guys' show, which I didn't get a lot of credit for that. Remember when you guys did the yep. Yeah, yeah, we did the, the one each, the twenty? Yep, yep. I gave you country house because I knew you liked them. Right, right. You yep. knew I liked country house, so you gave me country house. And it's funny how that thing never nobody ever like put that out that I picked that I had country house and that I said he you know, I had a big shot. Um but anyway, um when the race came up and he drew 20, I wasn't too thrilled about it, right? So, but I still had to use him in all my uh, all my picks. So I'm alive to the pick five to him twice. I had other horses, obviously, but believe it or not, I did not have maximum security in my run. I had like five or six horses in Derby, and he was not one of them. So when that inquiry popped up, and I said it, I right after the race, I said immediately, I said maximum security should come down. And my wife and the other other people that were there, we always sit with the same people. They said, why? I said, because he wiped out the field at the 3 eighths ball. And they go, oh, yeah, we couldn't see that, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, wait wait till they show the replay. I said, he wiped out the field. And, and you know, you never think in the derby there's even going to be an inquiry, let alone, you know, one like that. And when they popped that up there, I'm like, oh, at first I'm like, there's no way. They're not going to put me up for you know, a hundred over six figures and I put me up for for that. And, and as it went on, I was like, I'm getting more and more confident that they're going to take him down. They're just trying to figure out a way that they're going to let this public know that they're going to take this horse down in the Derby. And it was, it was, it was probably one of the most crazy, exciting things that I've ever experienced. Cause I'm there and I'm, you know, I'm with all these people and they're all, everybody's watching the TV and nobody knows for like 20 minutes in the Derby. And, they don't know what's going to happen, and and it's just, you know, it brought it almost brought tears to my eyes that I that I got put up for <laughs> with Country House and liking him and and picking him. And my wife had bet, you know, fifty to win on him, and she made a fortune. You know, we went, we, that was a that ended up turning into a late night craps uh, thing in the casino over in Indiana where we we actually did well. <laughs> Turned into that, but it was it was so exciting to you know to put up in that derby. Now, you, you, you mentioned your wife, and I think a lot of people um, who play the horses, and uh, especially at the level you do, they obviously have, it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing for your significant other to understand, partly because, in my experience, it's because if you, you would be doing it if it wasn't your job. So yes. the idea of, I have to work, I'm working, it's, it's kind of hard sometimes for significant others to understand that. And, and also because we'll have fun while we're working too. I can have a beer or a two or seven while I'm working and, and wouldn't necessarily recommend that. And I know that you, I've seen you very often that like the late double is usually when you'll have a drink. You don't drink earlier in the day. I'll usually start at 10. It usually takes you till the ninth um, to order a drink. But, you know, Obviously, you know, you mentioned your previous wife where, where, you know, that didn't work out. But one thing I've noticed about Kimberly is like, she's just so supportive and like understanding. I've never seen her get annoyed or agitated by the, the racetrack antics. And, you know, that, that has to make your job a heck of a lot easier to do. It is. She's, you know, she loves the races herself, you know, like, um, you know, she, when I met her the for the very first time, um, I uh, I met her at a wedding in 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 uh, on the island of Nevis, which is next to St. Kitts, um, where where uh, RGS is located. Um, I had a buddy that was getting um, 
married down there and I had just been through a divorce and she had just been through a divorce and he goes there's this girl I'd like you to meet so I meet her on like the on the wedding you know at the wedding and she finds out that I like the horses blah 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 and she, and she goes well I'm gonna go to um this was in July so she goes I'm gonna go to Delmar on opening day you know she tells me that first time I first time I've ever talked to her she goes I'm gonna go to Delmar on opening day I said well I'll take you I said I live you know 20 minutes from you I'll just I'll pick you up and I'll drive you down there regardless of whether you know we you know whatever I just met her so she had already an interest in horse racing so that was you know that was amazing to me that she liked you know going to the track and and that and then for me she's been so supportive since we got married and 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 she knows that this is hard work. She knows it's a job. She understands that there's times to play. There's times to concentrate. And she even tells me a lot of times, you know, take it easy. You know, she she tries to slow me down when all the guys are going crazy early in the day on these big days. And she knows that it's very important that I stay focused and and I, and I need to be. So it's great to have her there with me. It's, it's, she's so supportive, and it's that's it's not an easy. Uh, it's long days. As you know, yeah. Very long and my the favorite part, my favorite part about about Kimberly is she'll she 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 like will she'll do full days. She'll come from the first to the last, but she's very strategic and she'll go do her own thing and then she'll show up for like the last you know show up for the big four and it's like she's just man I she's really got it down and and uh, and she's and, got know. her angles for sure because she has to go to the paddock and she has to go to the gift shop and she has to see the horses you know before they run she's got it down she's got her whole i mean i don't know she moves around way more than me at the track that's for sure i sit there and you know handicap and stay in the same spot she's all over the place but she knows when you know she knows when she's got to be back when she's got about to pick five or she's got about to pick four she knows she needs help with a ticket right so she <laughs> she she's got it down she hasn't had too much luck except for country house late at the big days but she's uh She's definitely great to have at the track. We now, time, especially at Saratoga. Oh my, yeah. Speaking of Saratoga, obviously, you know, I, I, um, one of my favorite things to do, uh, you know, if I have a bad beat or um, I'm not doing well at Saratoga, like my therapy is to come to the purple tablecloth. The purple tablecloth, yeah. And it's it's not all. It's obviously because you know I just love being around you know you and Paul and, and Carson and Ogre and Double R and and the general and everyone just like my friends. But I also just, the vibe that you guys have back there is, is like nothing I've ever seen before. It's like a, it's a family reunion Tuesday through Sunday, every day for, for seven weeks at Saratoga. Like as you know, tell me about that. Did it, has it always been that way? And, and what does Saratoga and that spot mean to you and your family? Well, I mean, growing up in Hudson, New York, which is about 60 miles south of there, we, you know, we got to go there quite a bit. I mean, I, I remember spending um, with my mom and dad and two brothers. I remember going there and they used to have the infield open when we were kids. And we used to play wiffle ball when we were real little. And there's actually a tape of us running, running around during one of the uh, big Travers races. Uh, I think it was, I think it was uh, affirmed in Alidar, I believe. Um in the 70s 77 or 78 there, there's a there's a tape of us running like through the middle of the infield you can see it see the three kids running after the horses so we've been going there forever and we just started a tradition of all our friends 
just coming, everybody bringing, you know, something to eat, something to drink. And, you know, we we used to go to the top of the stretch early on. And, you know, when I was probably a teenager, we used to sit up there. And then it developed into this going back by the paddock. We wanted to be back by the paddock. And back then they had the horses would get saddled. It wasn't really a paddock. They got saddled around trees. And we would pick a spot next to one of the trees and and, and uh, it was way in the back. And more every year, more and more people would join in. It was we had just I mean, it would grow every year. It'd be like it started out being 10, 15 guys would come every day and then sprinkle in a few here or there. But now it's like we have a I mean, you've been there. We got to have 25 regulars. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. We have 25 regulars, and then you sprinkle in 25 more, and we end up with like 50 people there on on a, on a Saturday. And then you throw in uh, – that's how we met um, Peter's group there, the Pounders. Um, <laughs> the Rotundos? The yeah, Rotundos. The crazy Rotundo uh, whipping, you know, the the, <laughs> the crazy uh, rooting thing. We, you know, we, they sat – they always sat next to us, and we didn't really know them too well at the beginning but i mean if you sit next to somebody every single day and they're rooting the way they're rooting they, if you've ever seen anybody root for a horse nobody roots harder than them they're unbelievable i mean they're, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're about exciting I mean, they're, their nicknames are pounder and pounder jr i mean it's, yeah, it's they hit that racing form against their hand i can't believe they don't have like welts it's but um but then just the just the friends, the family, the people, the Paul's, I don't know how he even bets a race because he gets stopped every, he gets stopped like every five minutes and somebody comes by that he knows or somebody knows of him or just, we've kind of become like the, you know, the celebrities of the backyard kind of thing. It's like, it's kind of silly when you think about it, but it's. Oh, he's the, he's the governor of the backyard. There's no doubt. He's he's gotta be. There's no doubt. But we have such a good time, and, and you know we we love the racing. So we, I, I don't even get to watch you know the races anymore because I'm back there, and I'm you know this person stops by, and you're talking to them for 20 minutes, and this person stops by, and, talk, and you know, and then you, and then I come visit you guys up in the other, you know in your spot, and it's like you, and then it's like the day goes by so fast. It's like it's amazing. Well, I mean, did you guys ever sit in the grandstand, or was it never a grandstand thing for you no, guys? Never. Right. Paul, Paul, I'll tell you a story. Paul has box seats. I don't think he ever sits in them. <laughs> he gives them to people. He gives them away. Really? I don't know if he still has them. I don't know if he still has them. He had them for years, though. He had them for at least 10 years. He gives them away. That's how That's how nice he is. He just gives people his box seats. He pays for them and then gives them. That's hilarious. Why, uh, he is. I mean, he's the greatest. Why, um, yeah. why purple? You'd have to ask him. He's all the purple. I'm, you know what? My favorite colors are uh, a red and black. Believe it or not, I like the combination of red and black. If my silks were, he, you know, he had the money, so he got, yeah, he, <laughs> he, he was older than me. He had the money, so when he started, he, you know, he started supporting my middle brother. You know, my older brother. He's older than me, but he's the middle brother, Greg. He started supporting him, like when he was working for, um, for buyer. He started buying horses and and let because Greg went to University of Louisville and um, Paul bought a few horses with very little money. I mean, he shouldn't have been buying horses. That's the worst thing he probably ever did, you know, with his money. But he supported them right from the get go, and he picked the the colors of the silks. That had nothing to do with me. I I would have made him red and black. 
The <laughs> Paul told me the uh, the racing commissioner asked you how you owned horses because you didn't have a job. Oh, that was funny. So one year, I don't know why he had to get the horses out of. I don't know why. It, it, I st- he asked me that recently. I was, he goes, "You remember when we had to put the horses in your name, and I you had to go to in front of the um, you had to go in front of the stewards or whatever." And so they asked me. They go, "How how are you going to pay for these horses?" And I, I looked at Paul and I was like, "How how am I going to pay for these horses?" Um, and it was like. I didn't really have an answer for him. Like I said, cause I didn't really want to tell him that I was a professional gambler. You know, you don't want to tell, it's hard to tell the racing commission that you're <laughs> yeah, the, the reason you have money is because you're betting horses all the time. And then you're, and then they ask you how you're going to pay for the horses that you own. <laughs> I, he goes, do you have a job? I go, no. He goes, uh, you know, uh, well, how are you going to pay for him? And I said, well, if I have to, I'll have to borrow money. I, I, I just came up with some, some answer that I had to tell him. I said, if I have to, I'll have to borrow money from somebody to, to pay for him. But I, I said, I will never abandon, my, you know, I'll pay for my horses or whatever. I'm not even sure why they ran in my name, but they did for a small period of time. <laughs> I don't, that was, that was strange. They ran in KJ Matisse because my real name's Kevin. Oh, I know. I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people have looked at leaderboards before. I'm like, who the hell is Kevin? Yeah. Who's Kevin? You uh, and then you know, obviously, I I always every opportunity I I get, I love to say the uh, the greatest horse player sire in the world is is uh, your father Chick, um, yeah. who is his name's he's seen he's Paul Senior, right? Yes, Paul's a junior. Yep, right. So Paul Senior, Paul Junior, but he's he's been Chick since who knows? I mean, since since I was born for sure. He's always been Chick. Like his 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 uh, mom had nicknames for all her that she had four kids they were they were cook chick bunny and i don't know what the heck the oldest <laughs> one was called but he had a nickname too but they all had nicknames so who, who knows he chick, chick chick submitted a question that he wanted me to, to ask you about oh, no. uh about the pick six that you and double r and him hit while oh, you guys God, were on the no. golf course on the golf course Golfing. You don't remember that one too well, but I but it wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was less than ten years ago because we were on my, my uh, country club out here. And again, I think we played. I think we put the ticket in early in the day and decided to go golfing because uh, my dad like he, it's all he does. And you know, once uh, the weather gets good, he goes golfing all the time. So, um, we stopped on like the fourteenth hole, and we got the video out. You know, of the last race, we got the we just we didn't care if the people were behind us. They were they had to wait. We just sat there and watched the whole race, like in the middle of the fairway. You know, in on, on the cart, <laughs> and we're like celebrating in the middle of the fairway. Like people had to think we were the craziest people. <laughs> we're sitting there watching a the video in the cart and celebrating in the middle of the 14th fairway. It was hilarious. Oh, a Mohegan Sun. You and Chick went. You played in a contest there one time. Oh my gosh, that's a. That's an that's a that's a good contest story because it was one of my first contests I ever played. I was I couldn't have been more than twenty three or twenty four. I went to the Mohegan Sun. They had one of those win place contests, and I'm not even sure why I entered, but I did enter it right. And I I uh, playing the contest, and for some reason, I don't know if I don't know what I was hitting versus what I was doing in the contest. But after about five races of the contest, you know, I'm, I got nothing. I'm like, I'm nowhere on the leaderboard. I'm, I got nothing. 
but I'm up like 50,000 betting. And they were, I was like, how can that be possible? I'm up like 50 grand. And I look at them and I go, you can play this contest here. Just take it. I'm not even going to play it anymore. Do you take it? Just play it. Because I was up so much money betting. I didn't even want to play the contest anymore. But it was uh, that was one of my first contests. So I didn't even know what they were probably even about right back, back then. But yeah, the Mohegan Sun, I'll never forget that. How many, how many NHCs have you played in? Everyone, every, that's like it's like all of them, isn't it? But like a couple. Well, I didn't know about it for three or four years. There's how many have there been? Has there been nineteen? Oh my gosh! Uh, uh, I should know the answer. I missed that, the I first know. three or four years, but ever since I learned of the NHC, which I found out by mistake, I was walking through the Bally's Casino and saw a sign when I was in Vegas in like ninety, must have been in ninety six walking through there or 97 maybe maybe it's 97 walking through there and i see this sign nhc and i'm like what the hell is this and there was like 100 people in there and they were all they were all cheering for the races and i'm like what is this thing so i you know after leaving there i go back probably went back to the gold coast or the boardwalk where we were and i go paul what the hell is this nhc thing and he goes he goes i don't know we'll have to check it out so so the next year I said I got to get in that thing. You got to get try to get in that thing. It was, it was I think it was worth seventy five thousand. I think or something like that to win it back then, and there weren't a lot of people in it. Um, it was harder to qualify because there weren't a lot of qualifying spots. So I went to Tampa Bay Downs on a rare day, and like in the winter, I went down to Florida and you know visiting some people. It wasn't double R because I didn't oh, they didn't really know them back then. Um, went to Tampa Bay and put in this contest and get lucky and win. So I get into the NHC. That was that was my first NHC and I've been I've qualified every year since then. So I think it's 16, I want to say 16 years straight. What's your what's your best finish? Was. I finished 4th in the year Paul won. I finished 4th when Paul won and I finished um I finished in well they didn't have always have that they haven't always had that top 10 top final table thing mm-hmm. but um i finished 16th in it one of the first years i was in it and i was third with one race to go but the, back then they didn't have a cut so everybody could pass you if a bomb won it. and that's the year uh ron rippy won with uh, a first-time starter won the last race paid like 40 40 some dollars and like 13 people passed me but that would never happen nowadays. I would have finished, you know, probably third or fourth. Right. Because um, the, the the format's better. They've right. really done a good job with the format of that tournament. I mean, and I know you've had you have a part of, you've probably put in some some knowledge into that, and uh, Paul has too. Um, they've really done a really good job with that. Yeah, I'm really I'm hopeful that we'll get the, uh, you know, this year that was pretty annoying with the. Uh... Yeah, you know, they they, they got to make the mandatories earlier, and, and so hopefully yeah, the we'll, mandatories we'll got to be in yeah, the beginning. Just you're forcing people. You think, into... well, maybe we'll, we don't know if we'll have an NH in Vegas. Yeah, you know it's going to be tricky, right? I mean, yeah, it's going to be tricky. I, you know, look, yeah. I I haven't really thought about this. I haven't talked about it either. I get. I mean, look, I don't see why you couldn't do an online version. The only thing would be is would you be able to have your own selections or would they be all mandatories? 
Oh, well, I mean, you know, I, look, I, I've, I've, we've all run into that thing with the good ideas and people say, oh, well, the tote can't handle it. I guess you'd have to figure that out. Yeah, I guess you have to figure that out. Well, I mean, I think uh, I think horse tourneys has like an all optional uh, game now, so I would imagine they could find a way to make it work. But you know, I mean, hopefully the world comes back to normal by then, and and, and yeah. we can still make it happen. Um, yeah. But speaking of Vegas, though, you know, and I know we we kind of brushed over it earlier, but I I, I find I mean, look, you guys are surrounded by characters, um, and they all have nicknames, which is like my favorite part of it. But, you know, yeah. Battler, the General, um, <laughs> you know, Hussant. Uh, but but one of my favorite characters of all time that I never would have known if it wasn't for you guys is is the world famous Marvin. Yeah, Marvin's you know, greatest. tell the story because it's actually it's a it's kind of a where tragedy turned into something beautiful. Tell the story yeah. of how you guys met Marv. So when we were at the boardwalk, we did have. At the end, towards the end, we met this guy named uh, Harold. His name was Harold Becker, and he he was a older guy that had some issues with. Um, he was in a war, and he he had issues with his hands. His hands would shake all the time, and he had some health problems. And but he he loved the races, and he loved hanging around with all of us. And he was a former cab driver. A lot of guys in Vegas, go, a lot of guys go to Vegas to drive cabs. And then they end up in race books and sports, you know, sports books and stuff. And this guy ended up in the boardwalk. I'm not sure how, but he did. And he was very super nice, friendly. So we, after we left the boardwalk, we, we hired him to, you know, do some running, bet some Quinellas, bet some parlays, bet stuff. And he was a, he was a regular guy that was on our, you know, he was on a payroll for a long, long time. And then believe it or not, one of those days when, I was at I was at Bally's. It was during one of the NHCs. I'm not sure which one, but he was there the first day at the NHC. He was there, and we were all sitting on the outside of where the tournament was because they couldn't fit everybody on the inside because um, it only sat like 200 people. And uh, we called him Becker, so we called him by his last name. And, or Shaky, Shaky Harold sometimes. You know, There was a whole bunch of nicknames for him too. But he was there the day, um, the first day of the tournament, and then he doesn't show up the second day. So we, we, I mean, you know something's wrong because you know he's going to be there. He doesn't show up because he's he's got to come get the the bets that we're going to send him somewhere else to, to to play and that kind of thing. He doesn't show up. So he had told me that he was getting uh, a test done, like a like uh, endoscopy or something. He had told me about it, and he was nervous about it. And I guess uh, it didn't go so well, and he didn't wake up from the anesthesia. Um, so he had died. He died during the NHC. And um, I didn't know Marvin at the time, but Marvin um, was like his best friend. He was Harold's best friend, but Marvin didn't really know anything about he didn't know anything about horses or anything about gambling or anything like that. But we met Marvin because Harold died and Marvin came by and met everybody and said, Hey, I'm, you know, Harold's, you know, best friend, blah, blah, blah. It's terrible. Um, I went over to his house and I found all these tickets. He goes, do you guys know any, what I should do with them? And we said, yeah, those are sports tickets. And he, I go, Harold liked to bet baseball and stuff. And he goes, Hey, well, we should check to see, you know, how these, how, how these, if any of these won. 
And I said, I said, yeah, take him up to the window and, and see, you know, how, how they did. Well, the night that he heralded that, before he died, he played all these sports bets. He had won like five or six baseball games that night. So Marvin took the money from the baseball games and sent it to Harold's family. And then Marvin became – Marvin just kind of just fell into the runner role because – because we knew Harold, and he wanted, and he wanted her, Marvin wanted to learn more about it, and he wanted to wanted a job. So it, it was strange how it all came together. But Marvin became, you know, the next Harold, the next Harold Becker. And Harold was good friends with the Battler too, so they were like best buddies. <laughs> so it was sad for the Battler when Harold died. But um, but then Marvin became, you know, the Battler's big big buddy now. So it's. It kind of like we, we we got Marvin because Harold passed, but it it, it rolled into a new a crazy friendship. And as you know, Marvin is he is quite the character. Oh, he is, man. He's <laughs> he's he's like no one I've ever met before. He's the sweetest man. He's yeah. he's so and he's uh, eighty now. Oh, he's so I think uh, he turned eighty. I, he he called me and he said, uh, you know how he talks. He's like Jonathan. I'm thinking, you know he you know he's he's so into. Uh, uh, what's what's the name of the music he likes? The uh, doo-wop. Oh, doo-wop. He yeah, loves yeah. these doo-wop shows, and he's so excited to go to California and, and do them. And and he was just like, "What do you think I should get on a plane?" And I was like, "Marv, I don't know, man. Like, this is like before the before, before the NBA, NBA canceled, yeah. right?" Yeah. And I was like, "I don't know, Marv. I mean, just see what happens, but uh, I don't know. It might it might not be smart for you to do that." And uh, he said, he's like, I've been going crazy. You know, he was sending me pictures of, of uh, he sent me pictures of a house in Puerto Rico. He's like, I, oh, yeah, because his family owns that. Yeah, he said, I used to, I yeah. used to live here. I used to go bet over at, for Paul at, at the racetrack in Puerto Rico. He's, he's such a great man. His wife, who died a few years ago, was from there. So he has, uh, he has a lot of family still that still are down there so he had a he had a house down there he just kind of like left it and that was before the they had that hurricane too right he didn't even know if the house was okay but the house is doing fine he's a marvin's great guy i was going to go to that doo-wop show with him believe it or not before it got canceled that was going to be in march we were going to go to the show me and kimberly and him and that was going to be fun he's the best he's the absolute best he's always got the doo-wop on in the car I, I he we he'll play the same song over and over. <laughs> I was just about to say that he he picked, he picked me up at the NHC. Uh, he picked me up at the NHC. I guess it was after when was it? I guess everybody had left, or maybe I had got there early. He probably stayed. And he so he had he we, we, he took me to the bank, and then we went to lunch, and then he was gonna drop me off at the Cosmo, and he had the exact same song on repeat on a CD the entire time. I said, Marv, how long have you had this on repeat? He's like, I don't know, the last, I don't know, six months. <laughs> He's a legend. Um, yeah, for everybody that doesn't know Marv, Marv is the king of desserts. Marv oh, will eat, he'll eat ice cream and cake until, I don't, I don't know how you can eat that much sugar and ice cream. Like, yeah. he it. He'll have five desserts. You take him to dinner, he'll order, he'll say, let me get the creme brulee, the, and he'll just keep going. <laughs> he'll keep going. He won't even really eat dinner. He's the, He's a legend. The, he's one of the best men ever. Um, uh, you know, as we as we kind of try to wrap this up, I, I always tell people that, uh, you know, be, be, you know, between you and Paul, I, I don't know another human being or pair of human beings that's watched more races than you guys have. And and I I've always you know I've never I don't think we've ever had this conversation. I think I know one of these answers, but the other two I don't know. But in your opinion, uh, in, in your lifetime, who, who's the best horse 
the best trainer and the best jockey that you've ever seen? That I've seen live or just Yeah, that you saw that you that you were you got to you got to watch. Got to watch. Uh, the best horse I ever saw run is probably best horse I ever saw run. Well, it's probably a toss-up, but it's probably Ghost Zapper. I went to the Breeders' Cup the year it was at Lone Star when he won, and uh, and he was he was super impressive that day. I think he ran like 120 some buyer that day. It's probably him as the best horse I would say. Because I can't think of any other one that I actually saw. I tell you, one of the best races I ever saw a Philly run was that one of Mandela's that won the Pacific Classic. Beholder. Beholder. That was one of the best single races that I ever seen. I think Stevens rode her, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, that the move she made that day at Del Mar. I've never seen anything like it that day. But, but I think I don't think she got to be Gosep. Gosep ran numbers that were off the chain you know 120 something um would you ask me best trainer best trainer yeah the best trainer hmm. overall just over i mean i know that a majority of your focus and, and and understandably so is is dirt racing and 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 i and i understand why I mean, bob but. baffert has achieved the most by far in dirt racing so i mean i mean he he also has a head start because of the horses he gets um I wouldn't say he's my favorite trainer, but he's the best trainer uh, that trains uh, thoroughbreds that can run classic distances under. You know what I mean? If you had a million-dollar yearling that you had, a million-dollar dirt yearling, would you send it to, you know, it, you know, obviously, you you know, you might consider sending it to your brother just because it's your brother, but. Yeah, I'd have to give it to my brother if I had that kind of money anyway, but, um, I mean, I don't know if I would send it to Bob because if you know that um i've 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 gotten to experience some things because of a mutual friend of ours named tom loot he's had horses with him and you you're not like the you know when you have horses with him you're not like the guy you know what i mean you're not like you don't have a lot of say in what's happening and you don't you're not the top dog necessarily and he's got million dollar horses with him or had i'm not sure he does anymore he probably still does um I would be worried about that. I would want somebody that I would, you know. You were there. You were the first stall. Yeah, you know what I mean. I would. Yeah. I would want to be the top guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So that would be difficult if I had something like that. I, I, I would obviously give it to my brother first, but, um, but I, I think he's achieved the most by a mile uh, as a, as a you know classic distance dirt. Um, but there were some in it way back when you know that when i was growing up that i i would think you know the charlie whittinghams and the um you know even when i was growing up d wayne lucas was was considered you know like a god you know i mean he 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 could train phillies like nobody else he had i mean he would have he would have like five six horse entries you had never seen anything like it jonathan he'd have five six horse entries in these philly races and they'd all be good you know what i mean <laughs> They were they they were sick. He had uh he had horses at Saratoga that that I can remember like he he'd have a four ply and they'd all they'd run one two three four they were all so good the Phillies he trained but um and would you say it was best trainer best horse and best jockey 
Oh, best jockey I ever saw. You know, as a, as you know, I'm very uh, opinionated about jockey. <laughs> um, best jockey I ever saw ride. Um, just who you would want on your horse. You're alive for a million. You're li- you're alive for a million. You know, you get to pick your rider. I'd probably have to go with Cordero, but I'm uh, maybe Pinkai. Um, you know, I wasn't a West Coast guy until. I wasn't a West Coast guy until, you know, like the 90s. I wish I saw more of uh, Shoemaker. I wish I saw more of um, those guys that were, you know, West Coast riders in the 70s, 80s, 90s. I wish I got to see more of them. I got to see Pinkai quite a bit. He was he was very, very strong. Like, he could get a horse to finish like you couldn't imagine. And Cordero could finish like... Like you couldn't imagine. I don't think the riders of today can finish like those guys could. I think Bailey was a was a super talented guy because he was smart and tactical. I think you know he he did great things on grass and stuff. But um, I'd still would. I think I'd go with Pinkai or, or Cordero. Now Angel, you I think you you told me um, that. It's just that he, he was just so tough and yeah. so aggressive, right. and and you know you said it I didn't say it that you're hard on you're hard on the riders now. What what is it like in your opinion? What is it about the current rider that 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 annoys you so much? And does it have anything to do with? I mean, does does this is this correlated to the reason that you're no longer on Twitter? No, that has nothing to do with it. Um. Twitter annoyed me because people people get really I don't know how to put it. They get really um, they get the, I don't even think they act like like even I didn't start acting like myself on Twitter and I was being told that a lot. Like I was being told by people that hey, that's not you. And I said, "Well, that's not them either." I said these people on Twitter they they attack you for almost no reason. They attack you because you have an opinion. And to be attacked about your opinion when you when you know what what are you attacking? I have an opinion, you have an opinion. I'm not attacking you about your opinion, but why are you attacking me because I think this or I think that? It's like that really got to me for after a while and people were making it more personal than they needed to and it really got under my skin when i had friends that were attacking me on twitter and saying things bad about me that they had really no business doing you know i mean that that's why i left twitter but going back to the jockeys um i think i'm hard on the the jockeys because first of all i watch I watch more races than anybody, and I I watch them so closely that I see things that half the people on Twitter and half the people in the world don't they don't ever see. You know what I mean? They don't watch races in detail like I like I watch them. So I got to I got to fi- I got to become almost like a jockey critic because if you ever look at I mean you've seen them you ever see my sheets I'm I'm watching you know. 30 to 50 races every single day and taking trips on every single horse, hundreds of horses every single day. 
and I would say, I would, I would tell Paul, I said, did you see that ride that, you know, Rosario just gave? Did you see that ride that Rod just gave? And I don't remember doing that when I was, you know, 25. I don't remember saying that was such a horrible ride. That was such a horrible ride. That was such a, I just don't remember doing that. And I find myself seeing these guys give up like halfway through a race. And you, and you come to think of it, it it's gotta be because, I mean, Cordero didn't make that much money. You know, Pinkai didn't make that much money. Those guys didn't make a fortune off riding. They rode tens of thousands of races, you know, hundreds of thousands of races at, and got so many wins. I mean, they didn't make like insane amounts of money. And these guys today, the top riders like a rod and, and, um, and Jose or the Ortiz brothers and, you know, the top guys, the Rosarios and those guys, they make so much off one, one day that I don't think they understand that they should be held accountable to a, a different standard. They should be riding hard every single race. And I don't think they I don't think they give a hundred percent most of the time. A rod is pretty good, but Jose Ortiz is, he's not, he's, he's, he gives up too easily and he, he gives some really shady rides and, and so does Rosario. I mean, those guys, and I, and I hold them accountable because they make all the money in the sport. You know, I mean, it is what it is, but I'm hard on them and that's just kind of my thing. Right. And I've also, I've also said like, I, I've, I've, um, you know, uh, and, and I'm one of those people. I've, I've probably told you that I, I I thought your Twitter your Twitter persona did not match your real life right. personality. Right. Right. But I also I explained to people that I had to that I thought a lot of I thought a lot of what you use Twitter people use Twitter for different things, yes. right? So, um, there's a handful of people that use Twitter because no one else will listen to them in their lives, and so they 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 scream at the top of their lungs on Twitter. We, we know right. those people. There's people right. that use Twitter to promote whatever it is they're doing in the game. I, I like to consider myself one of those people. And then there's people yeah. like you who I felt like you use Twitter as therapy, as someone who works. And, and when I say you work hard, I, I need everyone to understand that I'm not discounting what other people do, but I've seen what you guys do. And you're not exaggerating. And, and I'll pat you on the back of how hard you guys work and the amount of time and energy that you put into your craft. You know, I, I get it. We're, we've told a lot of fun stories of you being silly and playing blackjack, and but it is a serious thing and you guys work your ass off. And so I think a lot of times it's just, it's therapy for you. And, and in fact, it, you know, I've never, I've actually never told this story, but I, I think this is the nature of, of what I want this show to be is, um, you know, my relationship with Mike Hogan kind of started to get a little bit, it was always, you know, it was fine. We were friends. And then at one point, I'll never forget, he, you tweeted about uh, a price on a horse or a horse winning, got loose at Del Mar. And Mike, you know, with, and, and I'm, look, I'm not knocking anyone who, who, who bets $2 across the board. That's, I'm glad you're doing that. And I'm glad you're a fan of the game, right. but he had said, he had said, he had tweeted something along the lines of, do you, I mean, have you ever heard of pace? Yeah, I remember that. And I so that. I said, I think I responded like, are you, dude, you can't be serious. And then I, and then I went private and I was like, dude, I texted him like, Mike, come on, man. Like, Duke's forgot exactly. more about pace than you'll ever know in your life. 
You know what I mean? So on his part. Yeah, why? And then he took it to another level. You know what I mean? These people, they take they take that and they run with it like beyond. And that's it got so annoying to have to answer to these people that are nobody to me. I mean, I don't even know them. I don't even know them. Yeah. I mean, if you're my friend and you you're doing that, okay, yep, okay. Well, I'll answer to you. I'll tell you what I think and and, and I'll listen to you. But to attack me on on social media about something like that i mean that I, you know i know <laughs> backwards forwards yeah you know it's 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 got to it got to be too much you feel happier but that I, you don't have it you know I, I i'm 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 better that i don't have it because i don't have to look at you know what's going on in the in the you know i i miss it in the fact that i don't know necessarily what all you guys are doing and what you're promoting and what you know think guys like you i miss that i, I miss the the guys that followed me um that were really my true true buddies that you know loved seeing you know my opinions on things and, and you know i missed that but um i think it's better that maybe i'll get back on it sometime but it, you know what twitter's hard to get back into once you once you fall off of it i've noticed i know a lot of people that you can't it's hard to get you know back into that the top echelon of twitter like it's hard to get you know 10,000 followers it's hard to get you know yourself back up there it's like being in uh it's like being in ninth grade all over again you know when you went to high school and and you were like the you know you're the little you're the little guy yeah if you're the little guy on twitter it's hard it's hard to be nobody cares what you say you know what i mean yeah so i i understand why those guys yell at people too because nobody's really listening to them except me you know he's yelling at me so i he you know he's calling me out not anyone in particular but whoever um you know so they're you know they they get it they get a rise out of me you know what i mean oh of course of course they get out they try to get under your skin that's their whole entire thing which yeah, is I mean, fine too, yeah but but it just got to be too much i you know i have i have I, i'm doing things for I, i'm watching races for hours and hours and hours do you think i need do you think i need some somebody saying you know you don't know what you're talking about on twitter and then i gotta somehow defend myself about it i mean come <laughs> on it's like it became so stupid that i'm even defending it. i looked at myself like what am i bothering with that for yeah of course you know what i mean why am i bothering with that so that's what that's why i got off twitter no 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 other real reason so a, a, a couple of things to wrap up um and this is a good point you brought up and and, and then i also wanted to just ask you real quickly about your arkansas derby thoughts just like quick, quick, quick. Um, so you can, you can, you can pull that up when you, it's, well, one of them's pretty easy. <laughs> well, Charlotte's in one of them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, look, as a guy who does it professionally, and Paul and I have had these conversations, you and I have had them pri privately as well, is like, there is the positive EV snobs on Twitter, right? The guys that, and most of them probably do do it for a living. Some of them probably do and don't, uh, whatever. But the guys that essentially bang their chest about how stupid the rest of the world is because, and they like to point out that something, some play or some idea or some thought that someone has might not be a positive EV, which, which is if you're familiar, you're not familiar, like an expected value, a positive expected value on a wager um, you know, not betting a horse that's over bet, not betting, a, making a wager that's not efficient, so on and so forth. Right. You know, how do you differentiate 
um, what you know that idea for for people who you're around a bunch of guys in the backyard that bet exact the boxes. I know you don't bet a ton of them, and I know you're wheeling things. And you're not betting a lot of cavemen tickets when it comes to pick fours and fives, but like. To me, there's a place for that. There's an entertainment value in it. And we've, yeah. we've argued about it in the NHC. Look, I, 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 I don't beat on my chest about it because that the NHC and the NTRA mean a lot to me for a lot of different reasons, but they also helped me get to where I am. Is it the best financial proposition? No, it's not. But it's fun and it means something to me. So I am fine spending money participating in it. How do you digest all of that when it comes to to making positive EV plays? Yeah, that's a good question um, because I kind of run into that issue a little bit with you know with, the, with you know with my kids you know like with Carson and uh, and not, not only that with my wife like they they'll make a wager that I would never make right Look, because they don't they don't really they don't necessarily care how much money they're going to make they want to just enjoy the race right they just want to say i want to bet a three horse exact the box four horse exact the box just to watch the race and have fun and root for the you know the horses and and play long shots right but i mean when you look at it as a wager you know as a financial gain it's probably not a very good wager you know what i mean you know throwing in you know these she throws in names or he throws you know carson's become a bit lot better handicapper and Kimberly's becoming better too. She doesn't do that as much anymore, but for a while, like, I mean, you know, our group of people, there's always, you know, somebody that's throwing in a ridiculous wager, you know, just because the horse's name or the color, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, it's tough for the beginner. What, what they don't, they don't, they don't have anything to, you know, to go on, you know, what are they, what is the beginner going to wager on, you know, that they feel confident in? You know what I'm saying? You know, what, what, what are they, they're picking based on what? So it's, it's, it's kind of tough, but for me, I try to do like, if, if I like, if I'm in a race and I like three horses, I'm going to, and I like them equally, I'm going to go with the longest price. I mean, and key them. I'm not saying that might be the right move, but it's the right move in the long run. The right move in the long run is if I like three horses equally, I should, I should take the longest one and key him. So, I mean, help me out here. I mean, is that what you're, is that like what you're kind of getting at? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, I just think that like, I, I think that the problem that I have is that, is that what your positive EV move is significantly different than what mine might be and someone else's. You're playing every day. I don't play every day. You're playing more races than I am. Your handle is significantly higher. So the idea that you're keying 12 to one shots is going to come back to you. You're going to yeah. win eventually. Yeah. But, if, but if someone, and I'm not even talking about me, I'm just talking about just random fan guy who yeah. is just a, is a weekend warrior. He shows up on a Saturday and he plays a caveman pick five and then the positive EV police want to make fun of him. Right. I just think it's stupid. It is stupid. I mean, he, that's, he just wants to, you know, I mean, for the everyday player, they're just enjoying the horses. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just out there having fun and, and they just want action. They just want to enjoy the day. So they're betting, uh, 
you know, they're betting all favorites or they're betting, you know, their favorite colors, their favorite yeah. trainers, jockeys. I mean, those aren't necessarily bets that I would make, but I watch, you know, people do that in our group. Of course. I don't, of course. I don't ever make fun of them for it. I mean, no, no, no. And here's the thing. I don't even try to, I don't even try to stop them. You know what I mean? They're just having fun. We all know that pizza, ice cream, burgers, fries, wine, and beer are not good for you. Right. But we still do it to a certain extent because it makes us happy. It feels good. We want to do it. We enjoy it. So if you're going to be the positive EV police, then I'm going to need you to eat all salad. And that's, right. that's that, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? I like like your, you can't, can't I like knock your people. analogy. I mean, that's, that's true. I mean, it's just let, let people have fun. Who cares? Let people have fun. Yeah. I mean, if, if they're, I guess if they're trying to be a serious player, that's a whole different story maybe, but yeah. if they're not, but if they're not and they're just, I mean, think about all the people in the backyard at Saratoga. I mean, they don't, they don't care what happens at the end of the day. Yeah, you know of what course, I mean? of course, Those of course. people don't care. They're no. out there. They're just, they just want to see a race and bet on it and have fun with their friends. And Watch people make fun of Battler. They just want to hang there's, out. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. We're going to, we're, we're over two hours. We're going to, we're going to wrap oh it up gosh. quickly, but I will say this. Charlatan, will he lose the, will he lose the first division of the Arkansas Derby? Only if he gets left. It's, he, it's the only way. I mean, he'd have to get left from the rail. I mean, if he, anybody gets left from the one post, they can get beat, but. I don't even – I think even if he got left, he would probably still win. All right, the second division. I, I know for a while you thought maybe the rail was, was, was good the day that Nadal won. Do you still feel I that do way? Do you, do you, what do you, what do you, where are you at there? Well, I haven't really looked at it in sense, but um, I know I did when he ran. I thought the rail was really good. I have to, I'd have to analyze the, um, the what's, come, what's come off that day, which I haven't done at this time. Uh, that pace was pretty fast, though, that Nadal, Nadal was involved in, even though he was on the rail. Right. So I have to give him a little credit for uh, for what he did. Um, I'm definitely not going to take the horses that came from behind in that race because horses like Farmington Road got good pace scenarios. Uh, did you like Wells Bayou from in, in his race from, from Fairgrounds? Wells Bayou. He's the far outside. Not really. That was kind of a that was kind of a slow pace race that he got the lead. And now he's on the outside post. I think he's probably in trouble. Yeah. Um, what about what about Double R's horse, the King Guillermo from Tampa Bay? Um, he's got a big workout coming. I don't know who. Uh, yeah. Who that's from? But wow, he's got a big workout coming. He's working good. I didn't think he was that good, but he's. He had run. He's run good figures. I mean, the last figure is 98. I gotta trust Paul in that saying he ran him that fast. Um, tough race, really. I mean, when you think about it, it looks wide open. Yeah, yeah. This race looks. This is the one to bet if you can come up with the right. You know, if you can find something that's middle of the road. I, I, I mean, Nadal's gonna be a big favorite, right? Oh yeah, he'll be. Yeah, because the the chances are that by the time Nadal runs, there's a small chance. But it's not a small chance. There's a legitimate chance that Baffert will have won three races already on the day. He's got that that Philly Gamine, uh, the, the, like that two that 1.8 million dollar horse that won at Santa Anita back in I don't know February yeah. or March. So he's got her. Uh, she'll be a huge favorite with a big figure. Then he'll have a charlatan. Um, and then, you know, obviously Improbable can win, but he doesn't have to win, but he could win. 
Um, I thought he ran well last time, so. He did run huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he ran huge. He just, you know, you never know what you're going to get from him because he's such a, a jerk in is the he, gate. What's, is he running a mile again? Uh, no, he's in the race right before, right before the third. He's in the 12th in that Oakland handicap with, uh, he's on the far outside. He's running a mile and an eighth. It's improbable. By my standards, tax, Tacitus, combatant, warrior's charge. Um, so if he can work out a trip, which I don't know, maybe he can clear. He might be able to clear. Yeah. Tacitus has never gotten better. Something that horse I always thought was going to be so good. Yeah. He just never really got any better. He just needs a mile and a quarter with with an honest pace, and he'll he can win a, a big race. But as long as improbable works out decent trip and gets good position in the first turn he's gonna win because he ran so big last time yeah i, thought I, I think the the arkansas derby is a crapshoot because more i look at the race i don't mind uh i don't mind that farmington road because i just don't have anybody else that i love yeah my thing with him was he just got he got a setup last time it's hard to play horses like that because they're gonna be over bet mm-hmm. it's pletcher castellano castellano's back yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't really have a strong opinion. I wish I had a better opinion in that race. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be interesting. How, how is uh, last thing? I know we're, we're, I'm wrapping up. How, how is the, uh, how is the COVID thing treating you? I mean, are you you holding up? Are you have you been busy? Fawner, Will Rogers, what what do you? Yeah, I've been playing a lot of Fawner. I kind of like that little track. I mean, you know, I grew up on those bull rings in Massachusetts, so I, I kind of like that little track. I mean the. To be hard on riders, tell you what, you can be really hard on those guys. They're pretty brutal. So I mean, but but you can't. I mean, that's just the kind of place it is. It's they don't make a lot of money those riders, and they and they 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 go out there every day. And and uh, I like that bull ring, but it's it hasn't been too easy. I haven't really I haven't fared too well. You know you know what I'm dipping into lately, which you're gonna laugh at. I've been playing Remington uh, quarter horses, and I've actually done pretty darn well doing it. I had a horse the other night at Remington, and I was baffled. Like, people, I don't know if the information's not as, either there's not as many sharp guys betting quarter horses, or the information is not out there for everybody. I think they use programs and stuff, like like the racing program. Mm-hmm. But this this baby who had run in a training, he was in a training race, he had beat the three to five favorite in his training race. And went off 14 to 1 from an outside post, which I think outside posts do well in the quarters. I think I've told you that before. You told you just like, told me I've been a part of it before. <laughs> I'm not I'm not like a genius when it comes to quarters. I'm, I'm new to this, but but this horse had an outside post, and the the other one had the one post, and the one's three to five, and he's 14 to one. I said Carson, I said we got to bet this horse. I said we got. I mean I don't like to risk too much on quarters. I said but we got to bet this horse like for real. And I kept betting 100 to win. I bet 100 to win, 100. He kept going up. He went up. He went, he went 10 to 1, 11 to 1, 12 to 1. I'm, I'm betting 100, 100, 100. I'm like, he keeps going up. He went off 14 to 1. He got beat a nose, not to the 3 to 5, to a different horse. So if you want to see bad beats, bet, start betting the quarters because you can get beat a nose all night long. <laughs> oh, I probably, I'm not going to turn this into a story, but I remember that time we were wasted. At Tom Lute's house in that back, in that back house, and we were betting. When we were just bears around. Like, when he lived where the bears were coming around all the time. We were just betting all the outside horses in quarters. 
Oh my gosh, what a, what a that was so yeah, much fun. Post too good in the quarters. Dookie, I, I, I uh, man, I appreciate it. It was, it was this was as much fun, if not more, than I thought it was going to be, and and I'm I'm glad that that people will be able to kind of get a glimpse in, into what it it is and, and what it was, right, to be a professional horse player. And, um, you know, I just want to repeat the sentiment from, from the beginning of the show. Man, I, I appreciate you guys from a from a professional standpoint, but but more importantly from a, uh, a personal standpoint. You guys have been, you know, you and I have had some really uh, intimate conversations about things in my life, and, and, and I, uh, I genuinely appreciate that. You're you're one of the good guys, J.K. I, we love having you around, and I uh, wish we could see more of each other. You know, wish it wasn't just always on big days. We'll have to we have to make a plan to do some more stuff together because it's always fun. It's uh it's a pleasure to do your show. I appreciate it. everybody. Duke Matisse. Right. Well, I gotta be honest. Uh, my my first thought after ending that that conversation uh, with Duke is, man, I, I I sure hope that Saratoga this summer is as normal as it can be with safety, obviously being the priority, you know, I mean, obviously uh, our, our friends, family, our, our parents, our, our, our kids, our brothers, sisters, wives, husbands, you know, their health is, is the priority. And, and so uh, obviously I'm, I'm going to put that first, but I, I sure hope that I have an opportunity to, to uh to spend some time at saratoga with with people like duke and paul and and the rest of their uh, their gang that hangs out and then also just uh you know all of you guys um, a, a majority of the people that are listening to this show are people that i look forward to seeing at, at saratoga whether it's a it's a a high five a handshake a, a a fist bump probably this summer but uh looking forward to to uh to that to that time. And, and this, this conversation with Duke is only a reminder of that. So, um, look, uh, we're, 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 we're all, uh, we're all trying to figure out what's next and, um, we'll know sooner than later. It doesn't have to necessarily happen yet. We'll, we'll figure it all out. But, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, that, uh, all the people in my life are, are healthy and, 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 and happy and, uh, trending in the right direction and, and it seems as if that we're starting to get some positive news so hopefully saratoga will come true and and uh you yourself might even be able to to take the long way when you walk in by the big red spring and and see those purple tablecloths and and possibly meet uh some of the names that we've mentioned uh, on this podcast man I, i'm so happy that duke took the time um it, Look, I could do this for another two hours with Duke. I'm going to do it for two hours with Paul at some point to talk about these stories from, from Vegas and their lives as professional horse players. But I, I think that this game owes the better more than they think they do. Um, obviously, I, I think Craig Burnick was the first person that I heard say this where uh, there's two people that have a choice in this game. Uh, that's the better and the owners. And, uh, and, and I, I think that's true. I, I think that the owners obviously have the money to go do something else. The owners wouldn't run if there wasn't for purses and the purses wouldn't be there if there wasn't for betters. It could be a little bit of a chicken and an egg debate, but we won't get into that now. But I, I do, uh, I do think that the betters are an important part of this. And, and, um, I'd like to think that, 
I'm proud of my contribution to the game, but my contribution is nothing compared to what uh, guys like Duke Matisse, Paul Matisse, Sean Borman, uh, Mike Maloney. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm just realizing why people don't list people because they forgot someone. Yeah, you too, whoever you are. Uh, yeah, you. Oh, yes, you too. So um, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed the, 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 the life of uh, listening into the life of a, of a horse player. And, and I hope that you learned something. And, and I look forward to continuing to bring you more of those. So we've got a jockey. We've got a trainer. We've got a horse player. Uh, I think the natural thing next would be a, an owner. Um, and so maybe next week we'll dive in, into that area. Or, or who knows? We might pivot right back around to a rider. I've got a I've got a rider who tells unbelievable stories, and I, I know that rider would be interested to uh, to get involved. So hopefully we can get them. Look, uh, I still I didn't take the time to think of a good sign off, and I swear to you, I don't even remember what my first one was. So I'm just gonna um, uh, I'm gonna thank all of you for listening. I'm going to thank myself. <laughs> I'm just joking. That's what Pete always does. He thanks me next. I'm going to thank uh, Peter Thomas Fornitel, my good friend who uh, is, I mean, well, he was my good friend. He's going to have to do something to become my good friend again. Uh, the co-creator of, of this network and, and the man that uh, does all the heavy lifting. Uh, our business manager, Drew Coatney. Um, the other people that contribute to the network, Matt, Naomi, Spencer, and, uh, and, uh, who else? How about those four-legged animals that are keeping us entertained? Let's uh, give them some love as well. Thanks for listening. I'll see you guys next week. I need to know everything. Who in the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything.